Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face, episode 254, and may the 4th be with you. Today is May 4th, it's the annual Star Wars Day. Alongside me to discuss the biggest and the best in gaming for the week is one of the biggest Star Wars fans I know, Matt Kyle. What's up, Matt? Hey. Any big um, news today from the Star Wars front for May 4th? Um, well, Bad Batch episode 1 went up at midnight on Disney Plus, uh, which I did indeed stay up and watch all 75 minutes of. Um, it's very good. Uh, production value and budget, I would say, on the level of those last four episodes of Clone Wars, wow. uh, which felt like a you know felt like a movie. Um, and this is similar. Uh, also, it is Clone Wars season eight. Like it's like it's called the Bad Batch, but it, like it literally starts with the Clone Wars logo burning out to show the Bad <laughs> Batch logo, and then they have the Clone Wars announcer guy do the like like the Clone Wars are over kind of thing. It's like. It's like, oh, so you're just continuing the show. Like, that's what, so it's literally called Aftermath, the first I don't episode, think anyone will complain so. about that. No, I, I am completely fine with that. Like, that is, that is exactly what I wanted. Uh, so that was very good. And then uh, the other, I guess the other thing is uh, they did announce that the Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel at Disney World is delayed to 2022, which shouldn't surprise anyone. But they did premiere their new lightsaber tech. Oh. Um, which is going to premiere with as the lightsaber training thing with the, the Star Cruiser thing. And it looks exactly like a lightsaber like, wow. like it it it's a handle and you hit the thing and it goes and it opens and it's basically like a reverse tape measure with leds on it like you know you know how like you give it the you know the, the strong tape measure you can like put it up like a like yeah, to measure something like, yeah. it's like that except it's a light it's like a light strip Interesting. and so you hit that and it, it like extends out and then you hit it and it rolls back up. So wait, is this are these going to replace the lightsabers that are currently sold at Disney to tourists and stuff? I doubt it. I think this is going to be specific at least at, for at first I think it's going to be specific for if you stay in the hotel you get these. Oh, wow. Cuz cuz there's a lightsaber training like activity. It's like a cruise ship. Like you're you're in uh. the hotel for like 2 days. And it's like you're traveling to the galaxy's edge planet, like, you know, the Star Wars land planet. And then so you're like, you can't leave the hotel. You know, like you're in you're in the, your room and you're doing like cruise activity. One of them is like a, a lightsaber training thing. And that's when you get these sa these sabers, which considering that thing, that thing is supposed to cost about a thousand dollars a night per person. Uh, that seems very fair, at least that we should get lightsabers for that. Yeah, um, it feels like and people then would the, be pissed off if they replaced yeah. the lightsabers that people could buy. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, if you could just change the tech so you still build the hilt, but like you get the new thing on it, that would, that would be cool. I'd be down to that. I also be down to that because it meant you wouldn't have to carry that giant blade around with you all the, the park right, all day. Right. Um, we'll see. I mean, it's also a good reason for me to buy four more. <laughs> exactly. Um, Which and, is what, uh, why I think maybe it would anger people. If, but then again, if people no, got them in the early going, maybe they're worth more money in the long run if they stop making them. And um. I mean, they probably would be. I promise you no one's thinking about that. They just want the better lightsaber. Yeah. Uh, and, They're not uh, thinking about it now, Matt. <laughs> uh, I, no one is going to complain if they replace, like, the old-style stuck blade lightsaber with yeah. something that looks exactly... Because they should put a video up of a, of a girl dressed as Rey lighting it a couple times and... I mean, sure, it's got the lighting and like, you know, they've set it up and stuff and it's, it's just, you know, it's like a medium shot so you can't see close up what it's doing. But it looks legit. Like, that's a lightsaber. Like, it's, you know, not going to cut through anything, but like, it looks great. So, yeah. Was, was that so it? Far, they good. didn't announce anything related to films or anything like that? 
Uh, not that I saw. I mean, I've seen, there's been a bunch of toy announcements um, all week, like been various, you know, this is like kind of a Star Wars week thing. Um, you know, I, I would expect a few more things over the course of the week. Like everything doesn't have to happen on May 4th. Yeah. Uh, sort of, it's there's sort of, everybody's got their own plans for things. Um, we'll see. And then the Marvel Cinematic Universe put out a trailer this week as well. Right? Oh yeah, they, they they had more to talk about naturally. Yeah, the, um, at the end of that trailer, just the films that are coming, it seems like mm-hmm. there's one film every three or four months for the next like two years almost. Yeah. Well, we got uh, we got eight Marvel movies between now and next July, um, and I mean part of that is because you know three of them got delayed from last year. Uh, and then we got a bunch of the shows. Uh, basically, if you li- if you line up all the Marvel movies that have come out, and then you line uh, and the and the two shows, and then you line up all the stuff they have announced, we are halfway through. Like they have announced currently on the schedule as many things as they have made total so far. <laughs> I saw they provided the subtitle for the next. Um... Oh, which Black which, Panther. Black Panther, yeah. Yeah, Wakanda Forever, which I kind of guess makes that a lot of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. How are yeah, they going to do that? Because nobody knows. Really. I mean, presumably someone else will become Black Panther. Um, they you are think not recasting. Create, like some CG sequence where the first Black Panther dies, and then the rest they of might the film like will they be... would need uh, they would need Bozeman's family's permission for that. Right. Um, also, that might have been because, you know, he knew he was dying. So he, they might have talked about that. I don't know. That's true. Um, Maybe he filmed stuff. How crazy uh, is that? Could have. Like, that's, yeah. you know, they've done more secretive things in there. In, in, you know, could have. Could, well, we'll, I guess we'll see. Like, no one really knows. I, I would also like, um, with, like, Bozeman's family permission, I'd love to see them do, like, a comic of what the original plan would have been uh, if he didn't die. Like, if, like, what Black Panther 2 would have been if Chadwick was still here. Um, and then, of course, Captain Marvel 2 is called The Marvels now. Yeah. Because uh, there's three of them. So uh, you got, you get, it's not just one not just one person anymore. You got, uh, you got Captain Marvel, you got Ms. Marvel, and you got uh, Monica Rambeau from WandaVision, who uh, was the first female Captain Marvel in the comics back in the 80s. So Interesting. So some big stuff in film this week, kind of, and TV and OTT apps, I guess. <laughs> we have to include yeah. that in now because they're really a big part of pop culture at this point. Um, it's been a great week for games. I've Just like last week, I've been playing games all week, just trying to get everything in as much as I could, trying to finish as much as I could. We, we're going to talk to you guys today about new Pokemon Snap. We're going to talk about Returnal. Um, lots of big stuff in today's show. Um, before we get going, I want to thank the people who have subscribed with Twitch Prime to open the show. Wampler13, thank you. He has now subscribed for 41 months. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, all that stuff adds up. Mr. 60, thank you for Twitch Prime. He's done it for 32 months. That's awesome. Talica1981, 42 months. Commander Fett, 28 months. You guys are freaking awesome. We're already at level five of the hype train, and the show just started. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Thank you, guys. Uh, Emperor Dread, thank you for Twitch Prime. Uh, who else got in here? Tiny2K is gifting subs. Always a reason to show up and watch the show live here on Twitch at twitch.tv slash siftedgames. Um, you can get free subs that you can use on Twitch from our awesome users. Um, Rosencrans, thank you for subscribing with Twitch Prime. You guys are all flipping awesome. Uh, one final thing before we get going. Uh, the episode of Three Night Weekend I've been talking about for a couple weeks with Jason Schreier is now live and free 
on our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash siftedgames uh, and check that out. I think it went pretty well. Matt, did you get a chance to listen to it at all? No. And, no. Uh, I thought we, I mean, we talked about it a little bit after you did it. But. Yeah, Jason is uh, it's a hard nut to crack, I guess. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> he's, uh, I mean, it's his job, right? You know, he can't mm-hmm. really let his guard down. Uh, he's very humble, like surprisingly humble. Like I, part of the, the whole discussion was me trying to break through that humble wall mm-hmm. to get him to what I feel like was talk honestly about some things. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is like, where he's like, it's like, oh, a lot of people are doing what I'm doing. I'm like, who? Yeah. Who? <laughs> like, who? Give me, give me someone. I'd like to read them. I mean, like, he, uh, he didn't, I could have said like Jeff Grubb kinda, but he, yeah, really yeah. Just, he just gets scoops from Xbox. He's not yeah, out like. like Beating the like Klepek does a little bit. Yeah, um, Patrick Klepek does a little yeah. with Waypoint. But, but just on the on the on the scale and like the like the level of 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 the business that Shire covers, it's just yeah. it's not a, there's no comparison. I don't think. I mean, look, I don't expect him to sit there and be like, "Yep, it's all me." Like I, I mean, some people would. Some people would, but I I kind of knew him before I talked to him, and yeah. I didn't expect that from him in the first place. But I think the conversation would have went even better if he had broken down that wall a little bit and been like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, this isn't something that a ton of people are doing. Maybe, you know, I am kind of an outlier, maybe something like that. And I think it would have prompted him to maybe give even more insight than he gave anyway, but still it's a great episode of three night weekend. Check it out. I'm not tooting my own horn. I just think it's really good and really interesting. Um, so again, youtube.com slash sifted games. It's there for free. If you want to check it out. And with that, it's time to get on with today's show. We're going to kick things off with new Pokemon Snap. Just came out for Switch on Friday. It is a Switch exclusive, uh, like any Nintendo game for Switch. However, this game was not developed by Nintendo, Matt. This was developed by Bandai Namco. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that of all the partners Nintendo could choose in the world, it is chosen Bandai Namco to handle these kind of second-party projects. Uh Bandai Namco generally not really known for top shelf AAA games. A lot of its games are based on IP, and they're not bad, uh, but they're just kind of good. They're def- most mm. of them are definitely not great. Uh, so that partner has been kind of an interesting choice, I think, because this is something that's been going on for a while now. Uh, there was the po- Pokemon fighting game for Wii U, I believe, that Bandai Namco yeah. created as well. They did um, a Star Fox game. Star Fox game. So it's this is a recurring relationship that Nintendo has with. Uh, with Bandai Namco. Not sure why it's chosen them. I mean, other than maybe they're a Japanese company and maybe they feel like they can collaborate more easily. But I would argue there mm-hmm. are other Japanese developers that would probably do a better job on most of the projects that Nintendo yeah. has kind Looks of- like we got some breaking news in the chat. Oh, uh, what's going on? Uh, the founders of Giant Bomb are leaving. What? Like Jeff? Yeah. What? That's what Mitch just said. What? Yeah, Mitch says, uh, breaking news, the founders of Giant Bomb have announced they're leaving the video game website. Why? I don't know. I know Gersman was uh, about to announce he had a new ki- another, another kid on the way. But I don't yeah, know, he uh... just had a baby, and now he has another one on the way. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't sort of lead me to believe that that would be why they would leave. Unless he got a better, better gig. Yeah. I mean, some of those guys may have gotten another job somewhere that... You know, maybe he's closer to home or whatever. That's a that is a giant bomb, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if it's something to do with GameSpot. The other three, apparently, not Jeff. Oh, not Jeff. 
Vinny, Brad, and Alex. Okay, then that's even more strange. <laughs> that the leader of the whole site stays and the other three go. That's weird. I'm wondering if something's going on at GameSpot and they're chopping budget or something and they were just casualties of that. I don't know. Maybe those guys are on staff and they don't want to keep some of the crew on staff. They want them to be like independent contractors or something. And maybe they're like, you know what, screw that. Because, I mean, if you think about it, those guys have built that business. You know, if you were there all that time, this is all speculation. Don't, don't write any of this down. But if that were the case, if you had been there and you'd built that business and they come to you one day and they're like, you know what, you're not getting benefits anymore or 401k. Um, we're just going to pay you for the hours that you work for Giant Bomb. I could see why somebody would want to leave. But again, this is all yeah. me just. I mean, if I had to guess from the history of that place, I would think it was because they were never going anywhere else. Like there's nowhere else. No, no they've topped out. There's nowhere else to go in that company. Yeah. I mean, all three of them, though. See, that's like there's something going on. If it was one guy. Well, like, my guess would be they're going to go form their own thing. That's very possible. Start their own Patreon or something like that. Um, that's possible. Like, yeah. And maybe, you know, it could be you. you there's, it's like a mix of all the things. You know, I'm sure like there's got to be some CBS fuckery in there somewhere, like you said. Yeah. I mean, also, if you look at Comscore, GameSpot is not doing very well. And, you know, with Giant mm -hmm. Bomb, Giant Bomb was launched as a sort of a rebellion against GameSpot because what happened with Kane and Lynch and Jeff, with mm -hmm. the marketing team there, they all leave and kind of protest to start their own thing and then end up getting acquired back by GameSpot and CBS. And they've been under that umbrella now for years. Um, mm -hmm. But again, if you look at ComScore numbers for GameSpot right now, it's not doing great. I mean, it's not like bottom five gaming website or anything like that. It's still like up there. But I mean, unless you're IGN right now, pretty much the traffic has just kind of gone away for traditional gaming websites. So yeah, and I think that's why you've seen GameSpot and Polygon try to dip into like films and TV a little more. Um, but they, I feel like they made a mistake in how they tried to do it. They tried to just roll it into GameSpot or just roll it into Polygon instead of kind of launching this sister website or GameSpot mm -hmm. Entertainment or Polygon Entertainment or something like that. They just started like seeding that stuff into their feeds for their gaming audience. And I think IGN's done a better job of kind of creating these separate channels. And it's done this from the beginning, but creating these separate channels where people know they can go to get one specific thing. Mm -hmm. And then if you want kind of a hodgepodge of everything, you just go to the to the base homepage, IGN.com. So I guess they sold I guess CBS sold them to Red Ventures a while ago. Oh really? Or yeah, this year. So that's kind of what's been happening maybe, with Coach. Maybe that's part of it. That I'm guessing that is a big part of it. That's right. Because CNET was also sold to that property. Yeah, that's right. So they aren't even owned by CBS anymore. Um, and if you look at what happened to Kotaku, it was kind of put into, after Gawker basically had all those issues with lawsuits and everything. Yeah. God, it's the same company that owns ZD, Zip Davis, ZDNet. Yeah, which God, I'll you, say this. like they've How done is that it. still around? I don't know. I don't know, honestly, because there's, they don't have a lot of properties either, and obviously EGM is not the money a big money maker to fill the coffers, and I don't know, I don't know how, but that's what happened to Kotaku. They ended up being owned by like a private equity firm, and then became all these editorial issues dealing with that, and then the whole Gawker thing where 
you know, the journalists didn't feel like the publication had their back and a lot of their journalists mm-hmm. left from Deadspin and all that. Now Deadspin's like a shell of itself. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, thanks for the heads up on the breaking news there. And, chat. did you say Mitch put that in there? Yeah. Thank you, Mitch. Good looking out, brother. Um, Darmist, thank you for Twitch Prime as well before we get going. Anybody else? I think that's it off the top. All right. If you guys see more about the giant bomb stuff, um, kind of take a mental note and wait till the end of Q&A. Maybe drop it in the chat and we can maybe talk about it a little more if we have more information or more details. Uh, Anyway, let's get back to Pokemon Snap. Um, The first Pokemon Snap game since the N64 era. It's been over 20 years since we had a Pokemon Snap. Matt, why do you think it took so long to get another game in this series? Um, I'm not sure. I like I, I don't know how well the original one sold, um, but it seemed to be a moderate hit, at least on N64. At least a lot of people I know who grew up around that time have fond memories of it. I think that may be part of it, too, is that the memory of the game actually ended up being more positive than the game actually was um i don't know about that like there's a there's a i did replay it in like you know mid to late 2000s and uh i still liked it um i uh i think um i think the fact i didn't pay attention really to the the development behind the scenes on this and the fact that you say uh, namco bondi namco made this explain some things you mean about this uh, game about the new or one. about why it took about so the, long to make the, another not, one? not how long it took but i think it explains some things about the new one okay um, um i don't know why it would take so long. i mean who knows why why nintendo takes so long to do anything like why is it taking so long for pikmin 4 why is it taking so long for another metroid game why did they do no metroid games for two generations in the middle there like what you know like who, who can say well, the reason I brought that up to start the conversation is because having spent a good bit of time playing new Pokemon Snap at this point, I'm like, why would something like this take so long? Because I think the first thing I would say right off the top is that this game is, I would argue, way too much like the original. It, it's, I really struggle to find any significant changes to this from what you played back in the late 90s on Nintendo 64. Now, there are differences. Um, Each course has a night version. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a couple other, like, really small tweaks to, like, how photos are rated and things like that. But otherwise, it's pretty much just the same game 20 years later built on whatever tech Nintendo has at the time, which happens to be Switch. Um, but if you played the original Pokemon Snap, you can literally jump right into this game and be a pro right off the bat. Um, even I was even really surprised, Matt, that there weren't any new kind of power-ups as far as like what you can use to manipulate the Pokemon with than prior games. Like They've kind of changed mm-hmm. the name of something, but it still kind of functions the same. For instance, like you had the Poke Flute or whatever in the original. Now you have, like, they call it something else, like the music box or something. But it's still the same thing. You're playing music to get some Pokemon to dance so you can take a picture of them yeah. while they're dancing. I mean, they have the, the scan thing, which is new. Um, like there's, 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 like, fluff around it that's new, but it's all the same thing. You're, 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 on, a, you're on a theme park ride taking, taking pictures, and you can throw apples at them, and you can, like, play music at them. 
Yeah. And that's about it. And then um, there's also like, they don't they go way out of their way to explain that the apples you're throwing are not apples. They're very <laughs> soft and don't hurt them. It's just like, okay. But guys. they look exactly like apples. They look exactly like <laughs> apples and they definitely hurt. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because you can use them to wake up Pokemon if you throw yeah, them. You know, you can you can bean them in the I mean hitting Pichu in the head with it is the first thing I did. I mean, come on. <laughs> but we know what we're here for. Well then there are also those like flower type things that sit on the ground and you can throw what is it called an illuminous orb mm. or something at those. Yeah, there's the whole like uh, they'll activate and then Pokemon will depending on the Pokemon will do something around like the light or whatever. Yeah, but there's really, like the whole thing with the the aluminum the Illuminati Pokemon or whatever the <laughs> hell they are. I don't know. Like that's one of my things about this game is just like, bro, like the story doesn't need to be this intrusive. Like I do not care like what is going on here. It's it's I mean, I feel as, like I could care if it wasn't just made for three year olds. Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's in bed. It was you know, there's a cameo that's nice uh, early on. Um yeah, Todd is is a nice callback, but yeah. uh, it's it's just sort of like okay, like I don't I don't know if this is what everyone is here for. You know, there's that whole. I mean, I know it's like part of the the the, the fluff and the fantasy for like the younger younger audience, where it's like you're here to help us do all the research on this island. It's like, yeah, that that as it may be, like it takes way too long to get off that first island. Um, <laughs> But it's, then the uh, new courses start coming like crazy, though. Like, if, yeah, there's more in there. Like, once you get past that kind of introductory section, but that introductory section is about twice as long as it needs to be. Yeah. Um, the onboarding is not as complicated as they seem to think. Yeah, they um, make it way more complicated than it needs to be. Because I, yeah. I first started going through like the tutorial parts of the game, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe this game. If they're t- telling me to do this stuff, maybe there's some really good stuff that's different from the first one buried in the code here. But it's not. They just are overly no. wordy trying to explain the same stuff that you learned in the first game. Yeah, it's mm, like it's and like I thought I got, at first I'm like, oh, this star system thing is interesting. Like the different f- pictures you can take have different star ratings based on what the Pokemon's doing. And then I realized like, oh no, it's just like preset, like whatever pose they're in. Like you get them in the right pose, it's a four star. You get them in the you know, get them just sort of just sitting there, that's a one star. Like it's like it it become like the mechanics of it become very transparent very quickly. Um, and you know, there's, there's a, like, I'm not upset that so much of it's the same as the original cause the original didn't really need fixing, Yeah. but like, um, it's just sort of like, Oh, all right. Like, like usually with Nintendo, um, and sometimes this is a negative to me, but like usually with Nintendo, if they're going to make another one of a, of a game, especially a game that's been dormant for so long is because they have some new big new idea about it that they think yep. is going to like revolutionize how you view it. And in this one, it's like, no, you just, it's the same game. Pokemon snap. I mean, I guess that's kind of what they use Namco for mm-hmm. when you think about it. Like that's basically what they do. And I know Namco, I think that was, they were also originally making prime Four, weren't they? And they, they, they got the whole and thing. They scratched it. Yeah. And they sent yeah. it over to retro studios. Yeah. So it makes you wonder what happened, you know, if, if they were just sort of making prime again and like, no, we want it to be another thing. And they're like, Wr-r-r. I don't like, know if don't, Nintendo would trust here. a, developer like Bandai Namco to kind of break new ground in one of the franchises. Like I'm surprised that it gave it to Bandai Namco in the first place, Metroid Prime 4 I'm talking about. Yeah, that was a little, that was an odd choice. And especially because the last time you farmed uh, Metroid out, didn't work out too well. Did not go well. And that was Um, Team Ninja. You would think might have a chance of creating something worthwhile. Um, like it's be- it's better when you do like they seem to mostly use uh, Bandai Namco for like okay take our thing and plug it into the thing you do like like Pokken yeah. tournament yeah. or like um 
uh, like their Star Fox game was just a Star Fox game. Yeah. It's just like it was I think it was actually an arcade game when it like it was it was I originally for, so. for arcades and then yeah. they did like a GameCube version or something. It was like, yeah, it was like, okay, make it make a Star Fox game. Just make a Star Fox game. And like and this is like just make a Pokemon Snap game. Make more Pokemon Snap. Yeah. Done. Um so I guess that's what they use Bend and Amco for. Seems yeah. to be. Um one thing that really disappointed me about this that that is very much like the first game is how short the runs are. So mm-hmm. I just assumed the first game, you know, those runs were short because it was the N64 and there was some kind of a memory issue or whatever, and they just couldn't make each run or each ride as it is long, longer. But here we are in 2021, and they last the same amount of time. Like, each run lasts mm-hmm. three to four minutes, roughly. Um, and I feel like just as you're kind of getting into the spirit of it, it ends. And mm-hmm. maybe they do that to create tension because you're like, oh, you got to get all these shots before it's over and it's not very long. And so you got to kind of be on your toes and whatnot. I feel like you could do that and make the run last eight minutes. I think they do it because you have to play them over and over and over and over and over. Like it's, it's but that they're, what, they're, I was, what I was getting at is that I feel like this whole game has been designed to make it last longer than it should. So mm-hmm. You have to, there's also something new in this version where you get, there are levels for each ride, so to speak. So like this first one that we just saw, that's like the daytime. And then you earn experience points as you play through it. And you have to get to level two before the nighttime variant for that ride opens up. And then you have to play the nighttime variant of that till it's level two. And then you'll get a brand new location to open up. So it's like, oh, just turn off the lights, make them go through it again, kind of reshuffle the Pokemon around. Um, and maybe that when you level up, the you know, if you go through daytime again, after you yep. level that up, everybody will be different. Play. Like, you know, different things are happening. A couple different people, Pokemon show up here and there. Like, they change it up. Mm-hmm. It's just, but it is the same path every single time. Yep. Um, it just feels know, like a lazy game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's. They just did it again. They just did Pokemon Snap again, pretty much with some some ad. You know, now there's nighttime versions. There's different variants of the courses. Like the the courses in the first one never changed. So yeah, there's like, some that branching paths in this one. Yeah, and um, you know, you're scanning stuff, and like things happen that didn't happen before, and um, you know, it's it's. I mean, it, it, if you're up for a new Pokemon Snap, it scratches that itch pretty well. I have to admit, I have not been very engaged by this. I you know, in a way, and that has surprised me because I do like the original a lot. And like, there's just something about this, something about this. I feel like I'm wading through too much fluff. There's no tension to get in the to game the, at all. To, the, to get mean, to the Pokemon snapping. Like, I just, I don't care about any of the story stuff. I don't care about any of the, the extraneous stuff. I think it takes too long to load in and out of everything in the menus. Um, I just feel like I'm constantly being prevented from getting back to the game. There's no stakes um, in the game. Because you can just keep playing them over and over and over again. There's no penalty for not doing well on a run. You still get XP, even if you do terrible. And if you want to do it again, you can just do it all over again and keep replaying it. Um, You never have to really get good at any of the courses. It's not like each course has an XP requirement where you have to score X amount of XP per run before it'll let you move on. It's since it's the leveling, you just play, if you do bad, you just play it again, and it just keeps stacking those XP on top until you get to that level two, so you can move on through the game. Like I just, if you're looking for a lazy game to play, and I mean, there's a place for games like that, and I know that there are people that enjoy games like that. This is definitely one of them. Like there's really 
no very little tension in the game whatsoever. You just I mean, I don't expect a tension-filled challenge fest in Pokemon Snap. Like that's not what I'm here yeah, for. I'm I not just looking want... for Dark Souls or anything like that, but it's like there's no challenge at all. I mean Well, the challenge is to get the particular photos you need or to manipulate the Pokemon to make the situations you want for the, the request photos to happen and stuff like that. Like that's always it's just all what memorization been. though. It's like, if I do this, this Yeah. Happens. Well, welcome to video games. Like that's that memorization was video games for a long time, but it's not anymore. A lot of it is skill. And we're going to talk about a game that's like that later on. I mean, there's the some, show. there is some skill to this, uh, or at least if you, I think if you're like a five-year-old or, uh, you know, the target audience, I think it's your, you know, maybe you haven't played a whole lot of, uh, you know, point and shoot stuff. Um, I haven't played it with the motion controls. Uh, I imagine that might be a little more engaging if you're into that kind of thing. Um, I just been using the sticks. Me too. Um, which is fine. I do feel like the turn speed could use a little boost. I if feel you like turn I'm... both, if you use both sticks together in the same direction, uh, that goes faster. faster. Yeah, I figured that out pretty quickly. You're right. If you don't do that though, this turning is really slow. But then you can use the D-pad to just spin around the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you can just tap down on the D-pad, and you just, you'll just completely rotate 180 and face the other direction. Getting used to doing that, again, made it even easier. Like I just didn't feel like there was any pressure on me whatsoever while playing this game. It's like, oh, I missed that shot. No big deal. I can just play it again, and now I know where the Pokemon's going to be, mm-hmm. and I can get it next time. Like, I mean, I guess the tension for me is I don't want to play this again. This, this course again, <laughs> You want to get, get it, it done, done in one try? <laughs> That's funny, and not not a good sign for the game either. Uh, the other thing I would say is the presentation in this game is pretty awful. So um, there aren't really cinematics in the game, like you saw the one at the beginning of the game, but most of the plot is moved forward with just talking head and text. Yeah, um, every once in a while, they'll do like a like a fifteen second scene where it's fully voiced and it's clearly like a pre rendered yeah. scene. And then they'll just jump back to that. It's very weird. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, I, don't, I don't know why you bothered to do that at all, if that's how much of it you were going to do. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it reminds me of, like, most B-level JRPGs, where they don't, you know, mm-hmm. create cinematics for all the big moments in the story. A lot of times it's just two still images of two heads on the screen with a bunch of text, and that's the way this is. Yeah, like the Tales game stuff, where it's yeah. like, okay, you did a cutscene, and now the rest of the game is just like talking heads with text. Yeah. And this Maybe game you're lucky like we voiced too. it over. Um, the other thing is, because I record footage of games with the soundtrack down for the most part, like I'll do that while I'm recording footage, and then when I go to just play it, I'll turn the music back on. If you turn the music off in this game, there is nothing, Matt. <laughs> it is just dead. Like, there is just nothing going on in the audio at all, except for the annoying, like, little quips when they talk. So it'll be mm-hmm. like, huh? Yee. Huh? Mm-hmm. Like, literally, that's all Hang you hear if you turn the music down in this game. It's just, to me, the production values in this are really cut rate. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this game started development, like, eight months ago. It just... I, mean, every- I, think, it, I think it's longer than that, but... Uh- I wouldn't say by much. It just- I would say it's two years. Really? You think this Absolutely. game took two years to make? I think it did. Wow. Um, I mean, not the cutscenes, but like. Uh, well, they the, had someone the else actual, doing that. They had some the CG actual, studio doing that. I mean, the cutscenes in terms of the the stand and they're talking in text boxes oh, things. Wow. I mean, like the the actual courses are more or less well done. Uh, but they're the so animation, short. They're short, but they're like they're 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 like um, you know big scenes that you know they're three minute scenes basically. And I think the animation on the Pokemon is very good. Like. Yeah, there's some of the better 3D renderings of the Pokemon uh, ever, maybe. Like, they're, I mean, they're probably reusing a lot of what they did with uh, to, to kind of le- what they learned on Pokken Tournament. But like, um, 
like I'm not like down on the tech on this thing, like at all. Like I think I think it I think for what they're doing, it looks really good. It's just not engaging. I disagree. To me. I think the worlds look barren, and I know a certain part of it is like, well, that's Pokemon's art style. But like right now, we're looking at the desert course where it's literally nothing but sand dunes, mm. <laughs> and Pokemon walking down the side of sand dunes. Like I, I definitely disagree with that. I think the production values on this are really low rent and not up to Nintendo first party standards, typical Nintendo first party standards. If you talk about the visuals and the audio, I don't know. I, th- I think it is. I think it is up to n- typical Nintendo first party standards. <laughs> and, the, and the thing we're thinking of, the, the first party standards that, we're, that you're thinking of are the top tier Nintendo first party standards. Yeah, like, I guess. Th- is this up to, up to par with Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey? No. Is it up to par with most of the stuff I play from Nintendo? Yes. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't see a. I, I see your see point, a, but I wouldn't go there. I don't far. see a lot of difference between this in terms of production value and Fire Fire Emblem Three Houses. I would probably agree with that. <laughs> I mean, but that was made by like Intelligent Systems or whatever. Right, but also like that's just what a lot of that's what that's what Nintendo's B and C list stuff looks like. Yeah, like that's just what it is. Ring Fit is no great tech extravaganza either. It looks better than this. <laughs> Maybe it does. It absolutely yeah. does. I think you're underestimating the the effort put into the, the animation of the Pokemon themselves. The environments are not impressive, but like I think it's cool to see the Pokemon coming to life. And so I don't have as much attachment to them as I did in the original because I don't know who half of these things are. Yeah. Like yeah, there's so many damn Pokemon now. Um, like the original Pokemon Snap came out early enough that it was noticeable when like ten of them were missing. You know, and like now you're just like, oh, there's 800 of these fucking things. Could be. I, I'm surprised that there's like anyone I recognize in half of these levels. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even think that that's really the problem because some of the Pokemon are actually really cool. Like, yeah, even though I don't I know, know what their names are, I'm like, oh, that's pretty freaking cool. Yeah, well, there have been a couple times when I didn't realize something was a Pokemon because it's so abstract. Right. Yeah, you're right. And like, this until is like, the like camera told next me, to a like, tree. oh, that's a thing. Okay. Yeah, and I'll scan and it'll pick up on it. I'm like, what? That's a freaking Pokemon? <laughs> and I'll just take a picture and like, I sometimes. Where's the I... trash bag Pokemon, you cowards? Yeah, like... <laughs> or send me through an alley. Like that's that's the course I want to play. Sometimes I take pictures and like I still can't even see the Pokemon until I go to grade the photos and I'm like, oh. There it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because they're just like blended in with the background or whatever. Um, As Matt alluded to earlier, so it's not just about like capturing one photo of a Pokemon and then you've got that Pokemon. Uh, You do have like, what do they call it? Is it just a photo dex? Is that what they call it? Where you. Uh, That sounds right. Yeah. And for each Pokemon, you are asked to collect four different photos, one for each four star ratings. Um, And also, as Matt alluded to, each star is dependent upon like a certain thing that they do. So that's where using the apples and the, the music and the things like that come into play. You use those to manipulate the Pokemon so that they do certain things. So you can snap a photo of them and get that three star photo or that four star photo. And it's not always clear like what they're asking for. Like it's just kind of luck, whether you stumble across what's what you need to do to get that extra photo but if you're a completionist, you're going to have to go back and get four photos for each mm. one of the Pokemon in this game. And there are a lot of Pokemon uh, to collect throughout the course of the game. Um, a big part of the game, too, Matt, is, like, photo uploading. Like, you, so you take photos of the Pokemon, but then you can do a bunch of stuff with them. You can put filters over them. You can put, like, um, frames around them. And then as you play the game, you unlock stickers that you can then use to add to your photos then you can upload those photos onto like a little social network and then other people like rate them and stuff. Like my first photo ended up getting like 300 medals or something from people seeing it and like rating it. 
Um, so there is some connectivity to the game, but it's pretty limited. You're basically just looking at other people's photos, and they're looking at yours. And if you like one, you give it a like. And then I don't even know what I do with the medals that I got from that. I don't know if I can do anything with them. Or I think you get nothing from the medal. Like I, I, think it's just, I think it's just leaderboard stuff. Yeah. Um, but how do you feel about how the photos are rated, Matt? Because that's really the, the crux of the game. So you go out on each course. You take a bunch of photos. You come back. And the professor rates your photos. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Matt. Like, I know what to do to get, like, a score of 3,000 or higher. But beyond that, I really am clueless as far as, like, how they're rated. Like, the best-looking photos to me, as far as being interesting and framed at a different, at a cool angle and having the Pokemon in the frame, like, those do terrible. But you figure mm-hmm. that out after a while. You're like, okay, the whole yeah, Pokemon. Yeah, they just want the thing in the middle of it. The, they want a giant Pokemon in the middle of the frame. Uh, doing a pose, and that's about it. Like, and you that's try the, to get other Pokemon in the background if you can. Yeah, or like you know, they want like 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 there's stuff like you know background stuff and like you know environments, but it's all like pretty much incidental. Like if you get it in the middle and you know basically filling the middle of the viewfinder and doing some kind of animation, you're gonna get four thousand or more. Because that's where you get your XP from is from the photo grades. Um, and so if he grades you low, you're going to get low XP, and it means you may have to play a course an extra time uh, if you had a bad run or whatever. But, yeah, the photo judging to me seems just completely random. Like, again, as long as – no, I don't think it's random. I think it's just weird. Like, like I, I certainly there's consistency to how he rates stuff. It's just not how you would actually rate photos, you know? Like it doesn't care about composition. It doesn't care about leading lines. It doesn't care about you know where you put something in the frame or like you know you could get like or a negative amazing, space or any of that. You could, yeah, you could get an amazing picture of Pikachu like in the corner looking out at the sunset, and you just be like, "Where's the Pokemon?" You know, it's like, yeah, you get no, like in a thousand yeah. for that because Pikachu's small and he's over in the corner. Yeah, you're, 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 they're not here for art. They're here for like Wikipedia photos, basically. Yeah. Like they, you know, they're doing research. You just want a picture of the thing, you know. Yeah, you basically have the Pokemon in the center as big as you can get it without going out of frame. They want the yeah. whole body of the Pokemon in frame, which took me a while to figure out. Um, and that's generally how you get three, 4,000 per photo. Yeah, um, even like, like you don't get better for like focusing on the face. Like they just want yeah, the whole the creature whole in yeah, there. Which can be like, hard because some of them like the big whale. Yes, There's yes, no way to get big. the whole whale in the photo. It's impossible. But uh yeah, it's, it's even it's even a little unintuitive there to like it's like oh you want I assume you want a picture of the eyes and the face it's like no you just want a thing you want the, the whole, whole body thing. yeah and sometimes but if you're if you're, if you're categorizing taxonomy I guess that makes sense but it feels like you know uh, yeah you're, it's it's a it's a research photo it's not a uh, it's not it's not an art gallery yep um, and let's see. and it does let you keep photos you like whether they're rated highly or not so it's, you know you can you can treat it as an art gallery if you want that's what all those frames and filters are for. Um, and then finally, you get there are loot boxes in the game. Luckily, you can't pay for them. You just they just kind of give them to you, and they include more stickers. And then they there's like this thing in the system in the game called titles, where you just have mm-hmm. a title badge or whatever, um, and you can get new titles that go along with your badge. But there's no online play, so none of that stuff really matters. Yeah, I mean, you see it when someone puts a photo up. You can see their profile. Yeah. That's about it. And then the final thing, really, is that you get requests from some of the characters in the game for very specific photos. They'll be like, oh, I need mm-hmm. a picture of Pikachu doing, you know, eating an apple or whatever. And if you manage to snap one of those, then you get bonus XP. And that's pretty much the whole game. I will say this. The game is pretty long. I've been playing mm-hmm. it for probably about six or seven hours at this point. There are a lot of courses, too. 
Um, yeah, the early on, like it takes so long to get up the first island. Like you might worry that's like, oh, are there like four right. courses in this game? It's like no, it's 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 a lot. Like there's there's a lot to do. And then if eventually, you consi- if you consider this where, stuff to do, like there's yeah. they, you'll be playing for a while. And then eventually, there are even points where they open up like multiple new levels at once, mm-hmm. and you can actually choose which levels you want to play instead of just being forced to go through the game linearly. Yeah, there's no. I would definitely not say there's any shortage of content here. No, um, in terms but, of what it is. But the tropical island course does get overplayed very quickly. Yeah, um, they do kind of eventually run out of themes for the stages. It seemed like, um, but yeah, I mean the theme is more like go see Pokemon. Like you know, Pretty the, much. The, the, the draw <laughs> is Pokemon. Is the Pokemon? Yeah, um, Matt, would you recommend this for a purchase? <laughs> I'm kind. Of, I mean, I'm kind of sorry I bought it. Like, I don't. I don't like it as much as I thought I would. Me either. Um, and I don't think it's really a fault of the game. Like, I, I, you know, I, uh, I part of my. I just. I kind of feel like it's overcomplicated to me. Like, I feel like I didn't need all this story fluff. I didn't need all this extra trappings. I just want like, the N64 one. You go in, you do the mission, you get out, you rate the photos, you go back in, you, you pick the next thing, you go. Like, it just. Fe- it feels like they're trying to add too much padding to me like i don't think it needed to be some weird story quest thing you know the the i think the original was fine or it was just like oh here's you gotta go p- take pictures and the story a is camera just go it's like yeah it's not it's, it's the usual it. pokemon nonsense um and there's like a weird thing with like a rival and so i mean they're, they're bringing in all the pokemon tropes but it's just like but the rival uh, does it, nothing like you no. never compete against him or anything like that he's just there like no, he's it, just a dick like yeah, pretty much <laughs> Yeah, uh, he just doesn't really serve. A, the story doesn't serve a purpose, and his story is completely vapid and forgettable. No. And and also, as we brought up earlier, they really beat you over the head with tutorials. Like, I get it. This is primarily a kids' game, and kids take a little more instruction before they can kind of get something. I understand it, but like, there should be some kind of an opt out at the beginning of the game where when you're going through this sluggish training, trying to teach you how to do all the basics and everything, like you should be able to opt out of that as an experienced player or an older player. Uh, but there's no option there. I just, I mean, it's relaxing, I guess is the best thing I can say about it. Like, yeah. I, I don't feel stressed while I play it. But... It's an interesting contrast to the other game I was playing mostly yes. this week. Yeah, me so. too. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it is kind of refreshing to play a game where you can just kind of kick your feet up and you're like, yeah, whatever happens, happens. There's mm-hmm. really no detriment to doing poorly in the game. Um, so I think if you're looking for something like that, it might be worth a purchase, but yeah, I mean, mainly it's like, if you like Pokemon snap, you will probably like this as long as you, as long as you get by the, all the added bloat they added to make it seem like it's a bigger production. Cause there's more, I mean, this game is like three times the size of the original Pokemon Mm -hmm. snap. I mean, as far as courses and the time you're going to spend playing it, um, now, obviously, and even in the first one, if you really wanted to go and milk it for all it's worth, you could get a lot more time out of it than that. I'm talking about the average player who's going to play each course a handful of times before moving on and kind of getting their feel from each one of them. Um, but I, if I had paid 60 bucks for this, I would absolutely regret it. Um, Nintendo sent me code for it, so I didn't have to pay for it. But if I did, I'd be bummed. I'll be honest with you. Um, and knowing that you did, I kind of feel sorry for you a little bit because I even think for myself personally, I wasn't a big pokemon snap fan back in the day but there was still kind of this nostalgia factor involved maybe it's because it was the n64 and i launched my first gaming website during that era i don't know but i was more excited for the game than i was as i played the game i'll put it to you that way yeah Um, 
sometimes things that seem so awesome in the past aren't quite as awesome as you remember them. Yeah, I mean, I still think the original is probably entertaining. Um, it's not like I was entertained by everything Pokemon back on the N64. Like, you know, the Hey You Pikachu thing was idiotic. And the um, I do remember Hey You, hey you Pikachu is the, the one thing with the Pokemon TV thing, right? Where it's just like Pikachu watching television on the N64, I think. Um, I remember... Uh, God, I, rem- I remember Morgan was very mad at that game. For what? Like, maybe, maybe it was the the GameCube. It was it was a it wasn't it was a game where you, there were the Pokemon just watch TV. Oh. oh. It was it was po- the Pokemon Channel or something. Yeah, it was like, yeah, I, I vaguely and remember like Morgan that. Morgan had now. to do that review on on X Player Extended Play or something, and she was so upset because it was the most boring thing you could ever have to sit through. I mean, they'll try to um, slap Pokemon on anything. Let's just yeah, be honest. Like it's just yeah, it's. Despite, you know, Pokemon Stadium didn't didn't really make me very interested. It, it seemed like a limited, you know, you know, translation of the battle system for the most part. You can only use certain Pokemon, which is weird. Uh, but Pokemon Snap, I liked at the time because, like, oh, you didn't get to see the Pokemon in 3D much. That was um, a big deal. Yeah, for it sure. was. It was cool to see them. Like, you know, it's cool to see them as big as you know Charizard, as big as he's supposed to be, and Getting that kind the of thing. Scale was cool. of the Pokemon, yeah, mm-hmm. that had a charm as well. And Andy yeah. T. Monahan brings up that uh, Toys R Us had the photo booths for the N64 right. when I'd forgotten all about right. that, where you could take your memory card in and plug it in and actually print the photos, print out of, photos the of, it, yeah. of those 20 polygon Pokemon. <laughs> That's pretty funny. But it's pretty crazy. Did, then there was like Nintendo like had a memory card slot in an arcade game for F-Zero. Mm-hmm. You could take like your GameCube memory card yep. into the arcade and like upload your You'd- car. Yeah, well, because you could transfer uh, progress between uh, AX and GX. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy all the stuff that used to happen that no longer connectivity. Yeah, God, just think tired, about the I'm game tired of hearing that word. Where you by like the third <laughs> press conference in that era? This is like, yes, I know. Remember the remember the time? Remember the time they thought a, a, the centerpiece of a press conference could be playing Pac-Man versus with right. Will Wright? Right. Yeah. For yeah, for the with the GameCube link cables that like materialize into basically nothing. Like yeah. there was that game and it's like, there yeah, all you need Final are four Fantasy Game Crystal Boys Chronicles. and our console and these cables we sell for twenty bucks each. It's like yeah. oh sure, great. I still have a what bunch a of those cables. I wonder if they're worth money now because I'm guessing hardly anyone bought them. I don't know. I imagine those have been reverse engineered to some degree. Probably. Uh, the thing that the only thing that was worth tons of money is the 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 GameCube digital out component because no one ever cracked that hardware like because it has it has that chip in it in the connector and no one has ever figured that out and there it's not worth it like if you're someone who's like running a business that would do something like that you're like uh i could spend a lot of money on r&d trying to oh it's not a business thing though no (laughs) one spends money no one does that as a business like you know all that stuff is done by fans figuring things out for you know it's like the fucking dolphin emulation that's nobody got paid for that like that was that was just people wanted People want to play Wii games with a decent IQ, um, image quality. But like, it's uh, yeah. I mean, fans will figure, especially Nintendo fans. Nintendo fans will figure anything out. But like, no one has ever cracked that one that that uh, GameCube, uh, whatever that that whatever you call it, the digital the digital out component cable has has never been cracked, as far as I know. Yeah, I have one of those too. Um, so anyway, you, you sell it for like two three hundred dollars now. No, really. That cable, yeah. Wow, it also works on the Wii, doesn't it? Uh, no, the Wii has no di- no digital out. That's the the West way. The Wii's output is worse than the GameCube's. If you have that digital, com- I if you have that, com- sure there was one for Wii. I guess not. nope. There is a component cable for Wii, but oh, it is okay. not a about. digital out. It is it is the GameCube one has that has the digit has 
hardware in the cable, in the cable that like yeah. changes the you know, turns it in the progressive scan uh the Wii does not the Wii's uh output is does not change and it's has in it, the, the like the, that converter is in the system is in the actual box and not the cable and uh the Wii actually does it worse than the gamecube does <laughs> so that's why if you if you i noticed the first time i ever noticed that was i put in uh, metroid prime to play it and i'm like why does this seem so fuzzy like it's it doesn't seem as sharp as I remember it, and I put it back in my GameCube, and played it. I'm like, this looks better on the GameCube, and I looked up stuff online. And my people are like, yeah, the the Wii's image quality output is worse than the GameCube's, Crazy. especially on GameCube games. So, yep. Um, in chat, didn't hurt it though, did it? Nintendo knew. Nintendo no. knew they didn't need to. Yep. Uh, in chat, Leonosaurus is someone who I was talking about. He says, as someone who was nine when I played the original game, I'm really enjoying the new one. I'm still playing it, and I started it the day it came out. It's a great, relaxing game to play with zero stress, and the visuals are great for what they're used to getting from Pokemon and with nice animations. So there's an audience for it. It's just not yeah. me. <laughs> um, so it's good to see some I, I just was hoping it. I was still the audience as well and just didn't click for me. I figured I would be too. I was looking for something new to play, um, and all it ended up doing was taking time away from another game that I wanted to play more. Yeah, that was part of it. Uh, if, if this had come out on its own uh, without anything else around it, I wonder if I would have had a different Or if experience. I would have at least given it a better shake. It's not that I didn't give mm -hmm. it a fair shake, but maybe I would have stuck with it a little longer before my attitude towards it soured. But um, there you go. That's new Pokemon Snap for Switch. Uh, both of us say don't buy it. Um, but I think maybe it's probably a good something to get for, like, your daughter or your son. Yeah, it's for younger kids. But... For adults, I don't know. I think it's a tough sell to try to give it to an adult and expect them to enjoy it. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about a game that I played and talked about on Game Face back in October of 2020. The game is Second Extinction. It is Left for Dead with Dinosaurs for the most part. Um, and when I talked about it on the show five, six months ago, it was on Steam Early Access. And literally... The game at that point was being held together with like Elmer's glue and scotch tape. It like hardly worked. It crashed all the time. The visuals were really glitchy. Um, but I still saw promise in it, which is why I wanted to talk about it on Game Face back then. Well, now the game has just launched for Xbox platforms, and I've been playing it on my Xbox Series X. Uh, the other thing I'll say off the top is that. If you are a Game Pass member, this game is completely free right now. You can go and download it on your Xbox and get playing. Um, if you don't have Xbox Game Pass, right now the game is $25 on Xbox. And if you go on Steam right now, they're having a 25% off sale. Uh, so you can get it for like 18 bucks on Steam right now. Um, and I'll just say this. This game, from the last time I checked it out, is night and day. Um, and it's only been like five or six months. It went from... Barely functioning, has no content, crashes all the time to a pretty polished three-person cooperative shooter that will leave you on the edge of your seat pretty much the entire time. Matt, have you had a chance to play this at all since it launched on Early Access? I forgot this existed. Oh, really? Um, yeah. In fact, when you said that you talked about it in October, I was like, oh, yeah. Eh, you yeah. don't even remember that? <laughs> I Not really. Like, No. Uh, so the second extinction, I figured it had something to do with with dinosaurs. I guess I don't know, like because of the you know we're in the sixth extinction, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, yeah I don't know. I I don't remember this really. Okay, it's a left for, you know it's a left for dead online thing. I don't I don't play those really. Okay, 
Um, so as I said, this is a three-person cooperative game. Um, I only managed to play with three people for a very brief period of time. For the most part, it was me and one other person. I don't know if that's a problem with the matchmaking or what, but it seemed like every time I played, the most I could match up with was two. There was even times where um, we would get three together in the lobby, and then someone in the lobby would just refuse to start the game, and you'd have to like quit. There's a, there seemed to be a lot of uh, griefers playing this game. I'm not sure why. Um, but like, th- so the setup is Earth has been overrun by dinosaurs. Humans are now living up in space in these space stations, uh, but they haven't they haven't given up the idea that they should take Earth back over from the dinosaurs. So you get sent down to Earth in these pods from the space stations. You land um, before you start each mission. There's a map that you look at, and you can decide which area you want to drop down in. Obviously, when you start, you have one area. And as you complete the mission that they give you in that area, then it unlocks more areas that you can choose from when you drop the next time. Um, You drop down to the surface of Earth, and literally from the minute you get there, it's on. So back in October when I played this game, like I landed. I walked around for a good like four minutes before I ever ran into a dinosaur. They have beefed up pretty much everything in this game. As far as the intensity is concerned, there's really very little downtime in this at all right now. Um, so let's see. Let's get into some of the gritty details of this. Uh, Three-player co-op. There's two modes. Uh, there's the campaign, which is what you're watching in the B-roll right now, and that's what you play cooperati- cooperatively with other players online. And there's also an expedition mode, which is just a free roam mode where you can kind of just wander around the open world. Um, there really aren't mission objectives. You're just kind of killing dinosaurs and trying to gather resources from the dinosaurs that you kill because the resources that you get from the dinos, you can use then to upgrade your weapons and uh, apply weapon perks. Um, And so I played mostly the campaign mode in cooperative play. Right now, there are just five playable characters. You may have caught a glimpse of that when you first started the B-roll. And again, it's only been available for five months, but still, five playable characters is pretty slim. Um, And within those five characters, there are three different classes. Uh, There's one class called DPS, which is basically just snipers. Uh, The Enforcer class is basically brutes and tanks, and they get a rocket launcher. Um, And then the Operators, which is the class that I played, are gadget heavy, uh, and they have a grenade launcher. The other thing that the Operators can do is they can call down pods from the space station. So, And they're on a cooldown, so you can't just do it over and over. But you can call down pods from space that will land where you mark them, that will give you new health or new ammo, and not just for you. It works for the whole team as well. Um, and that, honestly, is really kind of, If you don't have one of the people in that class, like I don't know how you would finish the game or finish a mission because you'll see in this B-roll coming up, it gets insane. Like literally like 40 velociraptors attacking you at once while there is like a T-Rex and two other gigantic dinosaurs attacking you at the same time. It gets really hectic really quickly, and it's very easy to die. Uh, if one of the big dinosaurs stomps you, you pretty much die instantly. And, but, and then you can revive. I mean, you can revive yourself, too. You don't necessarily have to have a teammate there. However, you can tell that this game is still kind of in early access because when you die, all the dinosaurs just are like flies on a pile of crap. They just all come and just stand on top of you. And every time you start to revive, one of them stomps you and you just die again. And then once you die in the game... You have to go all the way back to the original drop point and then run all the way back across the map. So 
I, we were, me and this other guy, we were fighting a T-Rex. And literally, we fought this T-Rex for probably 40 minutes. I mean, that's how many hit points a T-Rex had. And we did kind of cheese it. Again, you'll see in the B-roll. Like, we got on top of this, like, building that had a fence railing on top of it. And he couldn't attack us. So we were kind of cheesing it to beat it because otherwise I don't think we could have. And then I ended up accidentally dying because I brought in a drop pod to, for ammo because we had both run out of ammo. I jumped down to get it. He killed me. I resp- had to respawn all the way back at the beginning. And by the time I got there, he finished off the T-Rex, and I got, like, nothing for it. So there's definitely some drawbacks to the way the death and the revive system is working in the game. Um, I did end up getting, like, a lot of the resources that came with, like, killing the T-Rex that I could use then to craft, like, upgrades for my weapon after the mission was over. Uh, but I still did miss out on some stuff. Um as you play, you unlock new weapons, but the unlocks are really slow. Like, right now, there's a 25-level cap, and I don't know. I think I ended up getting to level 5 or 6 and never unlocked a new weapon. Um, and I did mm-hmm. some digging, and for the one class where they tout, like, your big secret weapon is the rocket launcher, you actually don't unlock the rocket launcher until level 15, which is it's a lot. Like, I... It took me an hour. It seems hour. like you would want to unlock a, unlock that early, and then like you get good enhancements for it right. as you move on. Exactly. Like maybe you get heat sinking, like rockets eventually, and things yeah. like that, or different like different kinds rockets. of rockets, or yeah, like yep. more yep. ammo at least, like something to yep. like give you the the core of your class early. You know, even Borderlands knows that. Yeah, you have to wait till level fifteen to get it. So the unlocks are real slow, and it like I said, I played. Probably it took about an hour and 15 minutes to finish this mission in total, and I went up one level. So Hmm. (laughs) you can extrapolate that out. You figure the missions will get more difficult as time goes on, which they do. Um, And so It doesn't sound very satisfying. Yeah. I mean, you're not getting a lot of rewards for the amount of time that you end up spending in each mission, I would argue. Uh, But again, because it's like an early access game, they don't want to just give everything up in the first two hours because then people won't keep playing. And what they've been doing with this game, if you go and look at the development cycle of it, they it's like an IV drip of new content into the game. So, um, like the first big update was in December, they added like one new character and they fixed a bunch of bugs. And then they had another update in January. They added like two new weapons and like added the T Rex. Like it's been this very gradual increase of content throughout the last like half year. And it appears like if you look at the roadmap going forward, it's going to stay that way. Like just these small amounts of new content added each month. So mm-hmm. just keep in mind, if you, if you get this game, you're kind of signing up for the journey a little bit of, okay, what can they get done this month? And is it going to work or not? Uh, and I will say this, like there, I did not come across any bugs in this playing it. Um, whereas the first time I played it, it was a disaster. Like, just dumb stuff like changing your weapon and then reloading would cr- would crash it. Like, they just hadn't had enough focus testing. And basically what they did with their early access on Steam was have people pay to mm-hmm. test their game, which happens a lot in PC gaming these days. Some people are cool with it. Some people aren't. Um, but as you play, you collect research and materials, and that can upgrade um, your weapons or unlock weapon perks. Um the stronger dinos give up the rare resources. So when we killed the T-Rex, we got a bunch of stuff from that that we weren't getting from the other dinosaurs that we killed. Um, and then the weapon trees themselves, they're pretty big. But, like, for my grenade launcher, there were, like, two options that you could choose from and, like, five upgrades for each one of them. And they're, like, your typical stuff, like handling, your critical chance, like the stability and stuff like that. 
Um, and then if you go a deeper level into combat, like every character has specials, but like my character, one of the specials was bringing down like the ammo pod. So it wasn't like some crazy over the, the top attack, but like the guy I was playing with had this like space laser, which are hot in the news these days. This space laser, he could call down from like a satellite and could literally just, and it's like the beam is like five feet wide. And he could just wipe out, like, and he probably did most of the damage on the T-Rex just with, like, a couple of those beam strikes or whatever. Um, and then, like, as I leveled up, I did get, like, a rocket strike that I could use. So, eventually, I did get some offensive stuff that I could use for my specials. Uh, but every class has its own set of specials. And, like I said, there's only three so far. So, there's not a whole lot to mix and match with yet. Um, but, honestly, I had a lot of fun with this game, Matt. Like, I, I like... I still like Turok Dinosaur Hunter. I probably always will. There's just some, something intrinsically fun about fighting dinosaurs. You know what I've learned? To, I learned a Turok thing this week. What? Which was that Turok is why I play games inverted Y. That was the game that did it, Because huh? it did it, and you couldn't change it. Uh, like the, the original Turok I do remember 1 that. and maybe 2, you couldn't uninvert it. So I had to learn how to play it that way. And when GoldenEye came out, I was just used to it. So I did that and I've never gone back. Wow. That's, that's what did that. That's Turok insane, that. dude. <laughs> I do remember that though. And then Turok had like, did you move with the C buttons or did you yeah. jump with the C button? I you moved remember. with the C buttons yeah. and uh, you couldn't jump in the first one, I don't think. No, you had to um, jump for sure in the first could one. Could you? Yeah. It might have been like it must R1. Have been, must have been the the R the R the R button. Yeah, must I think it was R, R that you jumped with. Yeah, the um, shoulder button. But uh, no, you, you moved with the C buttons and you aimed with the stick. It was it was basically they're trying to replicate mouse keyboard. Ah, yeah. Um, and except backwards. Um, and then like, but yeah, on the original Turok, you could not in un uninvert Y <laughs> so for whatever crazy. reason. So I had to learn to play that way. And then when. Uh, other stuff came out that, you know, because for a while that was really the only system doing that with shooters. Yeah. Um, and uh, until I think it was, it was some, I think it was an alien game on PS1 that finally used the, the dual analogs as like the way we would think of them today. And if you look it up, there's like all these reviews talking about like how weird it is to use two <laughs> analog two sticks. sticks. And, and like, it's kind of a weird experiment. I don't think this is a success, but it's at least they're trying new things. Kind of thing. It's like, oh yeah, wait for it. Dude. That's funny. Um, yeah, and so that that has to be where that came from. Why I play inverted Y is to rock. Okay. Oh, and then you may be wondering actually what the mission objectives are in Second Extinction. Well, you're actually mm. going to this perfect timing with the B roll right here. So uh, this one mission that I play that you're seeing right now, the objective was to get into these hangars. Then once you get into the hangars, you had to free the ship, which is being basically tethered down to the ground by dinosaur snot. So you have to shoot <laughs> the dinosaur snot so the ship can roll out. Um, and you have to do that in like three different hangars. And then is that you... a particular dinosaur doing that, or do dinosaurs just blow snot everywhere? As Apparently, a, as a like they don't show the dinosaurs actually laying the snot down. Unfortunately, um, so anyway, once you free all the ships, then you have to get back to the drop area. So you run across the map to the pickup point. When you get there, of course, it turns into like a horde mode where you're just overwhelmed with dinosaurs while you wait for the drop ship to get there. You get in the drop ship and you take off. That finishes the mission. You get all your rewards. You tweak your guns, level up your guns, and then you jump back in, choose a different part of the map and a different mission objective. But those are kind of the basic objectives. Like there were other missions where you have to do things like set up radio towers and send out signals, uh, things like that. 
Uh, but that's the crux of what the mission objectives are in the game. Um, I mean, they're basically camouflage for just go here and flip a switch, like pretty much mm-hmm. every other shooter in existence in 2021. Um, but I had a lot of fun with this game. It's way better than it was back in October. And I'm guessing, you know, I've been playing on an Xbox. Oh, there you're seeing the beam right there, one of his special weapons. Um, but anyway, I'm guessing the PC version is up to scratch just as much, if not more, than the Xbox One version and the series version that's playing right now. It's pretty. It looks good. It runs like a beast. The frame rates stay high. There are way more dinosaurs than there were before. Like, when I played it back in October, it was literally, like, all raptors. Now, there are, like, there's, tri- <laughs> there's triceratops. Oops, all raptors. Seriously. It was just, you were just fighting big hordes of velociraptors for the most part. And now you've seen in this B-roll, there's a T-Rex, there's that crazy dinosaur, I can't remember its name, that has, like, the club for a tail. And Kylosaurus. Wow. Good. That's really good, man. Um, and I think there's a stega. I think I saw a stegosaurus at one point in the mm-hmm. game as well. Um, so there is a, a good variety of enemies in the game, and, and like you have to be smart about how you attack them. Like the Stegosaurus, you couldn't attack him on the back; you had to get him in the belly. So like I was sending my grenades along the ground to get underneath him, and then blow up underneath him to kind of blow up his belly. Uh, so there's some strategy to it. Uh, unlike new Pokemon Snap, there's definitely a lot of intensity in this game. Although I would say it seems like you can respawn as much as you want. Although I did miss out on some stuff because I died. So it's not like there's no risk-reward to the game at all. Um, But it's just really intense. It's a little different because you're dealing with dinosaurs. They're unpredictable. They don't act like humans. Uh, They're faster than the average human that you're going to fight against in a first-person shooter. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. I'm going to keep playing it. Um, It is on Game Pass. I don't know how long it's going to stay there, but it's there right now. and You can download it for free if you want. And like I said, when we first started talking about it, if you don't have Game Pass and you don't want to get Game Pass, you can buy it outright for 25 bucks. But again, just remember that you're basically a live tester with this game. Like you are going to have to fight through bugs and if you want them fixed, you're probably going to have to submit bug reports. Like if you looked at their roadmap, Matt, like they, I will say this, they gave credit to like their users for finding a lot of the bugs, but 80% of the bugs were found by users. So... You are basically an unpaid tester playing this game, but at this point, it's to a it's to a really good state where it's it's more than just playable. It's fun, and in a lot of cases, it's pretty polished. Um, I had a lot of fun with it, so I definitely re- uh, recommend Second Extinction. Again, it's on both Xbox and PC right now. Matt, do you have any questions about it? Um, not really. I mean, uh, do they have any kind of release window idea? Or no, they, they have not announced like a final release for it. I think honestly, I don't know if they're ever going to have one, Matt, because <laughs> now that it's on console and they're just following the same blueprint of we're just going to breadcrumb trail content and keep fixing stuff that people find that's broken. Like, I don't know if this game's ever going to end, and mm-hmm. I don't know if it's ever going to have like a box release where. I mean, the other thing too is there's no. There's no story in the game other than the loose premise of dinosaurs have taken over Earth, go down to Earth and take it back. Like there's no cinematics or cutscenes or dialogue between characters where they're talking about like, oh, I can't wait to get lunch or whatever. Like there's none of that. It's just go down, kill all the dinos, accomplish your mission objectives, and then go back up to the space station and reset, upgrade your stuff, and then head back down and do it all over again. So... It's interesting that there are games like this now where you can't even really see an opportunity to release them as like a final product. 
because they're just kind of these amoebas that just morph and change over time. Um, and I would be surprised if this game ever got like a box release. It just doesn't seem like that's in its uh, in its path to. Well, I would imagine it gets a 1.0 at some point. Yeah, that's probably true. And this may be 1.0 actually. I don't know because I played the console version. If it's early access, it's not 1.0. Okay. Um, like they, they'll they'll if they, you can't call it early early access if it's 1.0. You can't call it 1.0 if it's early access. Okay. Like so, so at some point I'm sure that we'll have something they consider this is the fine this is the the final game in terms of we consider it to be release complete and now we will continue to fix it more kind of thing. Um, it usually that's just an excuse to raise the price. Players are getting introduced to all this stuff now that PC players have been dealing with for a long time. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you can spend money on this game that isn't finished. <laughs> like, yeah, and sometimes it works out well, like with uh, like Hades. Yeah. But um, you know, Sometimes usually it it's cheaper. Like I imagine it'll be more than twenty five bucks when it, if it hits a one Probably. Um, usually you get a little discount because you're buying an early access game. Well, I'll say this: um, based upon what I played, I wouldn't spend more than twenty five bucks on it. I think that's perfect. Mm-hmm. It provided they keep adding content at the rate that they've been adding it since I played it last in October. Then I think twenty five bucks is worth it because it literally can just go on forever. And I have a feeling they're going to keep supporting it with new DLC and new new dinosaurs and all that kind of stuff. So I think mm-hmm. it's going to be one of those games that just kind of lives on forever. Um, and in that case, 25 bucks, if you really like it, is a pretty good deal. So there you go. That second extinction, again, available for PC and Xbox, 25 bucks or free on Xbox Game Pass. Yet another reason Xbox Game Pass is just so awesome. Um, I still am not sure how they're doing it. Uh, we have a topic here in a second, actually up next, I stacked this show actually perfectly because that segues perfectly into what we're talking about next, which is the next saga in Apple versus Epic. And I was just alluding to, I don't know how Xbox Game Pass can afford to do what it's been doing, where it's just giving all these games away for free. Well, not really free, but they might as well be free. The monthly cost is so low, it might as well be free. And then you have Epic Games, which is literally at the Epic Game Store is just giving away free games week after week. And Matt and I have talked about it before. And we're like, well, how does it rationalize doing this? How does it afford to keep doing this? Well, we know how it affords it because it's epic and it has that Fortnite money and the Unreal Engine money. But how does it rationalize just burning through cash? And again, it is a private company right as of right now. They're not answering to shareholders other than their employees who have shares of the company and maybe wouldn't be happy with some of the decision-making because it is part of their compensation. Um, but they're not public, so it's not like they have like a stockholders meeting every quarter where people get on the phone and they're like, what are you guys doing? I own 5,000 shares of your company, and I'm not happy with what you're, you're doing right now. Epic can just kind of let the, its freak flag fly at this point, and that's what it's been kind of doing. Um, and right now, at this very moment, and it started yesterday – the Apple versus Epic case is happening in court live. In fact, there's an audio stream of it, Matt, that you can like listen to, and it literally sounds like it's coming through like a tin can with a string on it. It sounds so bad. I think Jeff Keeley is like streaming the audio on his YouTube channel or something. It's on Sifted right now. I tried to listen to it a little bit this morning while I was getting ready for Game Face, and the audio is basically unlistenable. Like I could hardly even understand what they were saying. Um, so I'm not telling you to rush over and go listen to it. And definitely don't do it right now because we got Game Face going on. Um, but it is there if you want to check it out. But the court case is going on right now. And the crazy part about it, Matt, is that Tim Sweeney is testifying. Like, he mm. is 
he has taken the stand and like basically, you know, trying to make the case himself uh, for why Apple taking a thirty percent cut from sales on the App Store he believes is illegal and should be eliminated. Now, adding a wrinkle to this, Matt, is that this week it was uncovered, released that. First, it was announced that Microsoft was going to stop taking a 30% cut on its PC Windows Store, and it was only going to ask for 12%. And then <clears throat> two days later, it was announced or leaked that, oh, no, it's not just for the PC Store. It's also for the Xbox Live Store. So console stuff that's now sold on Xbox, they're only taking a 12% cut. That is a huge deal, Matt. I mean, <clears throat> if you're trying to court third parties... And you're like, okay, most of your sales are digital now, and we're taking 12%, and Sony's taking 30%. Who you want to work with? That's a huge, that's 18% of revenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what you think. In a situation where like 3% matters. Right. So do you think that Sony now is going to be forced to drop down to that 12% cut for PlayStation Network sales? I mean, I think it depends. You know, they're going to have to watch the numbers for a while, but. Uh... It's usually pretty good to be competitive with your competition. So maybe, but like, who knows how that would have to be greenlit in the labyrinthine halls of Sony uh, corporate. Uh, who know, You may never be able to convince anyone at the home office that that is something that needs to happen. I don't think they will. I'll be honest with you. If they, I think if they were an American company, they probably would. But I think being in the catbird seat leading the generation, all the momentum that they have. I think there's going to be some arrogance there. I think Sony's going to be like, look, we're the premium platform, and if you want to work with us, this is what you're going to have to pay. I would honestly, at least immediately, be surprised if Sony followed suit. I could see eventually Sony getting enough pressure from third parties to where, okay, like a year and a, a year and a half from now, a year from now, they change their stance. And Because what it's going to take is – Sony seeing it hurting them. So when mm-hmm. they start seeing like publishers working with Microsoft more because Microsoft take, is taking less of the money off the top, that's what it's going to take, I think, for Sony. Yeah, I mean, you know Activision's looking at that. Oh, of course. Any, any publisher that sells a lot of copies, think about that. Like if you are Activision and you sell 20 million copies of Call of Duty and let's say 10 million of those are digital sales... Think about how much money, more money you will make on Xbox than you will on PlayStation mm-hmm. 5. It's astronomical how much more money they'll make. And then you start thinking about, okay, well, Sony has like these deals with PlayStation. So or Sony has these deals with third parties like Activision so that like DLC for Call of Duty shows up on PlayStation 5 first or whatever. I mean, if you're Activision, you start reassessing those deals. And you're like, okay, well... If you want to keep that deal going, then maybe you throw in the, well, you need to give us the cut down to 12%. Or you threaten and say, well, we're going to take this exclusive stuff over to Xbox. Like, it gives third parties some bartering leverage in some ways Mm -hmm. um, with Sony. So I don't expect Sony to match immediately, but I would not be shocked at all in a year's time when they're starting to re-sign some of these exclusivity contracts with some of these third parties, that they start questioning it. And they're like, okay, is this worth it? Um, because the last you know, five years, we've been the platform for Call of Duty. And this is now under threat. So you know, how much value does PlayStation place on something like that, I think is going to be 
the real tell as to whether it decides that it's going to change its policies or not. Um, but anyway, the court case is going on right now. Literally, as we speak, it's happening right now. And um, already in the first day, all kinds of crazy stuff has been coming out of the discovery process. So at this point, almost everyone has access to all the materials that were shared between the two sides for the court case. Uh, and as people are starting to sift through that stuff, they're starting to come across some really interesting stuff. Um, here's the one that hit me the hardest, Matt. So if you guys remember, maybe you don't even remember, Borderlands 3 was an Epic Games Store exclusive, meaning if you wanted the PC version of Borderlands 3, you had to buy it on Epic Game Store. And I think at the time, we were like, oh, you know, if they gave them 10 or $15 million, like it's worth every penny or what? Oh, were we so off, Matt? Holy moly, dude. So <laughs> Borderlands 3 cost Epic for its for the game store $115 million. That's how much they paid Take Two to have Borderlands 3 exclusive on Epic Game Store. Now, to be fair, they made $100 million in revenue from the game in three weeks. <laughs> So they basically recoup their investment in three weeks. Um, and so you ask, why Why would Epic do this? Why would it take such a big risk putting out such a huge outlay of cash to a third-party publisher, not knowing 100% that it was going to get its money back? Well, the reason that they're doing this is to acquire users for Epic Game Store. They're looking at all this as basically marketing costs. They're saying, okay, we're going to spend $115 million, but hopefully we get you know, a million or two new users onto Epic Game Store. And again, based on the data that was released in the discovery process, they got an extra 1.26 million users just from Borderlands 3 alone. And 53% of those people were using Epic Game Store for the very first time. So do you think that's worth it, Matt? I don't, I don't think what I think matters yeah. <laughs> if I'm not Epic. Like, that's what that's their money to spend. Um, if it was your they, business, would you feel like it was worth it ultimately? I mean, if I had Epic money and I was trying to move into Steam's, uh, if I was trying to move into Steam's territory, that would feel like I had made some progress. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so adding- And if you look at some of the other, if you look at like their costs for the exclusivity on like a lot of other games- they're paying way less than that. Oh yeah, you know, we're gonna like get to all that. There's other games that convert way, way better. You know, dollar to user, dollar to new, new user percentage. But, but like, look, Borderlands Three is different though because Borderlands. I mean, 3, personally, would I have gone and done that for Borderlands Three? Probably not. But it's like I just wouldn't consider Borderlands that kind of a draw, really. Yeah, I mean, a lot um, of it is it the worked. timing, right? It's like, okay, we need to make this marketing spend. We're doing yeah. this now. That's what was coming out at the time. What so game is coming out in what, the next yeah, three months? You got to work with what you got to work with, right? And so um, I get maybe why, because that was also kind of during a dry spell when Borderlands yeah. Three came out. Um, and so I can kind of understand. Also, probably colored by the fact that I didn't like Borderlands Three very much, but like, yeah, I didn't either. I mean, it was okay. It was pretty much exactly what I expected it to be, to be honest with you. Um, and then, so th there was also, like, shoulder deals along with that Borderlands 3 deal that, it, that amounted to another $31 million. And that was for Civili Civilization VI and uh, the Handsome Collection, which is the collection of the mm -hmm. prior Borderlands games. Um, and they spent another $31 million to take two for those. Now, I would argue that was definitely money poorly spent. Um 
you didn't need it. Borderlands 3 is big enough all on its own. Like, you didn't need these other two games to be kind of like these warm-ups. And that's what they did. So they gave out Civilization for free. And then as people came and got that for free, they advertised Borderlands 3 to them. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it I mean, off, I definitely like, remember people reacting to them giving away Civilization. So, like, I remember, I remember that being chatter in general that I heard through no seeking out of it on my own. I just was hearing people talk about, oh my God, Civilization's three free over there. Yeah, and so like, it definitely did its job in that regard. I don't know about the Handsome Collection, um, but like, you know, it's it's you know, Epic has almost infinite money. I mean, and it's buying like, its way into the industry. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest (laughs) yeah but like that's that works that's how playstation happened you know so uh, let's be honest that's how a lot of businesses happen i mean you just have enough marketing money that you buy your way to success i mean that's been a big problem with sifted it's like nobody knows it exists because we have no money to market it so it's like there are a hundred billion gamers in the world and like probably a hundred thousand people even know that sifted even exists so it's look. It is a tactic that's used in every business. It's not just gaming, um, and it is successful. It works, and it appears that for the most part, it worked with Borderlands Three. Not yeah, only look, Epic's playing a long game here. Epic's yeah. thinking about twenty years from now. They're not thinking about what's our quarterly profit from this. You know, that oh yeah. Yesterday they're, they're in court, Tim Sweeney here. said they're not even expecting to turn a profit on the store for another three or four years. Like that's mm-hmm. their plan is to turn a profit in three or four years. Yeah, like they want to be Steam in twenty thirty. Yeah. Exactly. Like that's what they're after. Like they don't care what happens at the shareholders meeting in May. You know, like it's not it's not what they're doing. Yep. So yeah, they are playing the long game. They're trying to eventually topple Valve and Steam. Um, so Borderlands Three is one thing, but then the other thing that that Epic has been doing is just putting up game after game after game for free on Epic Game Store every week. There's at least two more games. And probably the most interesting thing that has come out of this court case at this point is we now have all the numbers. (laughs) I don't know who leaked this yesterday, but we have all the the numbers for every single game that was given away for free on Epic's Game Store since it launched. Matt, what stood out to you the most out of all this data? Because it is a lot of data. I'm sure people mm-hmm. on the stream are looking at this right now and their eyes are going crossed. Um, for me, it was how successful Subnautica was. Yeah, it was one of the most most downloaded of all of yeah, them. Yeah, most downloaded and uh, brought in 17% of the people who downloaded it were new to Epic Game Store. Yep. Yeah, that's like, the that's highest a, number that's by huge. a mile. Now, keep yeah, in the mind, next, the number, number two is 10% for Batman Arkham. Like that, like number two is Batman on this. Yeah. And then number one with an almost double that is Subnautica. It's pretty um, crazy. Now, granted, that was like, that was 12, 14, 2018. So that, that, maybe that was the first one. Was it the first Epic Game Store giveaway? Yeah, this, so. this data is from like when it first launched. Yeah. This isn't from yeah. like this past year or whatever. So it's not completely up. Yeah. So this is just like, you know, but but like the fact that like 17% of the people that came in for that first one were new and didn't already have Epic accounts even for like Fortnite or something yep. uh, is impressive. It, I mean, so to me, the metric that we should look at on this that matters the most is how much it costs per user. Mm-hmm. So how much... That one, and actually the other one I would say is Metro 2033 Redux, which uh, didn't um, bring in nearly as many new users, but did four and a half million people 
uh, downloaded that, like got that that for free, which is the most uh, next to um, uh, it's like fourth or the fourth or fifth most downloaded one, and they paid nothing for that. Yeah. I wonder what that was. Who gave that to them for free? Some kind of, there's something else. It's probably linked to some other kind of a deal. Yeah. But really what I look at with each one of these is like, okay, with each game that they gave away, how many users did it bring in? How much did they have to give the developer or publisher for that game? And therefore, how much did Epic pay per user to become a user of Epic Game Store? And there are some cases here, Matt, where Epic paid ungodly amounts per user um celeste 12 dollars per user so every u- mm-hmm. new user that they got because they gave away celeste for free they paid 12 dollars for that user inside 11 dollars that's crazy everything five dollars and 56 cents per user lego batman four dollars and 30 cents per user the 638 from what I'm seeing here. Oh, okay. This printout is kind of rough, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm looking at part of, I mean, part of this, like, so, like Inside and Celeste, I think everybody already had those games to some degree, which which probably didn't help. Although they paid a lot of money for Celeste and Inside, considering what they were. Yeah, and because the, the problem is, is that they have guarantees for these. So if not enough people download them to get over the guarantee, they still have to pay the guarantee. So if nobody downloaded Celeste and got it for free, they still had a bare minimum that they had to pay for the game. And my guess is that bare minimum divided by how many people actually downloaded it is where you get the $12 per user, which makes it's insane. But look, there are other cases where it goes to like 50 cents, like Super Meat Boy, 50 cents per user. That's manageable. Um, What Remains of Edith Finch, like 88 cents per user. That works out. But for the most part, like... I don't know. To me, more than a dollar per user seems like a fool's errand. What do you think about that, Matt? Um, maybe, but it's like it's not. You can really like, like you can really predict that. And I would say their um, their cost per user is pretty good most of the time. Like the like most of these costs are pretty low, and like you get the occasional bad bet, like Celeste and Inside, maybe. The average across um, all of them, by the way is two dollars and 37 cents per yeah. user they've paid i think anything in the two dollar under range is like you you won like you won big just getting someone to sign up mm-hmm. really even though they may never spend a dime and look i'll be honest with you matt i have never... they're still going to have that account when the time comes for you to make whatever other big push you want that might bring them back like that's all they want is is people and eyeballs i would like to see the data for of their registered users <laughs> what percentage of the registered users have ever spent a penny on Epic Game Store? Because I have never spent a penny on Epic Game Store. And I have, at this point, like 25 or 30 games on Epic Game Store. <laughs> like, my library, if this keeps up, I will pass my Steam library in like two years. And I've been using Steam since it since it launched. And I haven't spent a penny for any of them. I think a lot of people are like me and... Yeah, sure, one of these games got him to sign up for Epic Game Store, but I think most of them have probably never spent a penny on Epic Game Store. I mean, obviously you have the big number with Borderlands 3. A lot of people bought that because they had to buy it. It was the only place you could get it, and they didn't give it away for free. I don't know. I mean, look, I know that there's a bottomless pit of money at Epic. I I get that. Like, they have more money than, like, 
anybody for the most part. Like, they can afford to absorb the, these losses. I just – it also makes me wonder, Matt, if they're not really interested in going public, which has been a big question lately. Is like, okay, when is the IPO for Epic going to happen? Like, I – if you're running your business this way, I don't know that an IPO is really in the cards. What do you think? Um, Probably not. I mean, I think they are fine with being what they are. Like, I don't know what an IPO really gets them at this point. Well, they could sell a bunch of stock and have a lot of money, but they're having, but, but they already have a lot of money. Like right. well, all you're, all you're doing is giving up control of your business. But you know, Sony's given Epic two big chunks of cash. I mean, if mm-hmm. it didn't need money, it wouldn't have taken the money from Sony. Cause you're giving up at least a little bit of control with that. So I don't know, maybe they've got something cooking that's bigger than we can even imagine. And they're going to need money for something like that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they took money from Sony. I can't, do you have any idea why they would take money from Sony? I don't. Um, I don't know. I really don't. Like, it doesn't seem like they need it. Why would they need want to be beholden to them? For, I mean, unless yeah. there's a deal in there somewhere, something hidden that we don't know about. I mean, of course, the conspiracy theorists are: oh, it's PlayStation's going to take over Epic, and they're going to. You're only going to be able to play Fortnite on PlayStation. That's not happening. Epic will never sign an exclusivity deal for Fortnite, so it only appears on one platform. It's just not going to happen. Um, could it develop games or technology for PlayStation that is exclusive eventually? Sure. That could happen. Do I think it'll happen? No, I do not. Uh, so you're right. They're playing the long game, Matt. I just, I don't know. So the, here's the other thing about their whole court case is if they win and Apple's cut goes down to 12%, their cut's only going to be 12% too. So that's going to limit how much revenue they can generate going forward. Um, there's just so many different kind of dangling threads to this story that in a lot of cases just honestly don't add up. Um, I'd be interested in the chat to see if how, what percentage of people who have signed up for Epic Game Store has actually spent any money on Epic Game Store. In fact, I think it might be easier if anyone in chat who has spent a penny on Epic Game Store just says, like, I did. So we can see it in the chat to see like if how many people have actually spent any money there. I guess we'll have to wait a minute for it to come yeah. through. Or nobody spent any money. Okay, there's one, there's Couple. two. Oh, okay. I, I spent money on Epic. What did you um, buy? I, I bought uh, Rebel Galaxy uh, Outlaw. Three, four, five, six, seven... Because I didn't want to wait for that. OTAP spent some. That's five, six, seven, eight. Okay. That's the only one I can remember spending money on. I wonder how many of those are now like Epic Game Store customers and don't like use Steam anymore. Um, Well, that's certainly not me. Um, I got it because I wanted that one game. Um. Because they have continued to, and they continue to get games where you can only buy them on Epic Game Store. Like Metro. Yeah. Metro was a game that was an Epic Game Store exclusive as well. Um, and you can only buy it there. So I'm guessing most of the people who are saying that they did, that's probably why they did spend the money. Uh, yeah, I'm, looking, it, I'm actually looking through my history, and it's a whole bunch of zero. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I got B-roll today from Epic Game Store, and I was just going through my account, and it's like, and the funny part too, Matt, is that like when you look at your library on Epic Game Store, if you've never downloaded the game, it's grayed out. 
and only the games mm-hmm. that you've ever downloaded are in full color, like the card for them. And I right. had like two colored cards, and the rest were just all grayed out. So I go there, I claim the game, and then I never even download it. It's the same. Okay, thing. I have bought three things on the on the store. Okay, uh, Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, um, which is the first thing I bought. Period, like at all, free or not. Um, so that's why when I I guess when I signed up. Uh, and I bought Untitled Goose Game, and I bought Mech Warrior Five. Okay. And that was that was all. So the last time I bought, I paid, spent money on the store was twenty nineteen, end of twenty nineteen. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, Al Cabone says in chat, he says I shop everywhere. I'm always looking for the best mm-hmm. deals and sales. I get that totally. So if you find a game yeah. cheaper on Epic Game Store, you're going to go there and you're going to buy it instead. And um, you're not going to find it much cheaper than free. So I just it's odd because the argument for the longest time was that a lot of people had against play that you know this isn't the first competitor to Steam to crop up, and the argument that everybody always had before was well my library's all on Steam, so I don't want to like start buying games from somewhere else and kind of split up my libraries. But I think even with stuff like Amazon Prime, like look if you guys are linking your Amazon account to your Twitch account with your Prime account. Like, you may not realize it, you are getting tons of free games. Just go to our page, twitch.tv slash games, and look at the little crown up top. And there's probably a number there that's like 40. Well, click on that and then scroll all the way to the end of the list, and you'll see that there are probably 10, 20, 30, 40 games, maybe, if you've never claimed them, that are just sitting there waiting for you to claim. I just think... We've all accepted now that our libraries are never going to be unified. They're always going to be spread out because who's going to pass up 10 free games a month on Amazon? You're, no one's going to do mm-hmm. that because, oh, I want all my games on Steam. No, those are free games, and they play just as well if you get them from Amazon as if you get them from Steam. So I think that's been a big shift for PC gaming over the last like three or four years is the whole, well, I've been on Steam since the beginning, and that's where my library is, and so that's where I'm going to stay. Like, I think people have given up on that at this point. Um, I think it's good for the industry, and it's good for them and consumers, because as Al Cabone said, if you support these other stores, they can also offer sales. You may end up getting games cheaper on some of these other stores. I could definitely see an argument for this is starting to get crazy. Now I have Amazon. I have Epic Game Store. I have Steam. It does start to feel like it's on the tipping point of being too much. Um, but I don't expect too many other big players to enter the space at this point. Once you have Epic in there and Valve in there and Amazon in there, like it's tough for a little guy to break into that kind of trifecta there. So mm-hmm. I think we're kind of at the end here where now you only need the three <laughs> on your computer to make sure you're getting all the free games that you can. But it is interesting. Un- how- until someone else does. I mean, I don't know who else could possibly have the money to want to wade into oh. this battle and commander fett brings up a good point there's good old games as well and he says he's using that so i I mean i use that more than epic for sure i do i've bought more games on gog than i have on epic yeah because you can't buy out most of those anywhere else like because they're all old you know i mean i think i think gog has gotten less interesting the last few years as they've kind of run out of old games to put on and they're mostly just like an alternative store uh for like the same stuff everyone else has but for that period of time where they were putting up you know all those old adventure games and all those you know the the gold box uh dnd stuff the um you know point and click stuff that didn't exist anywhere else like they had all the LucasArts stuff for a long time yep. uh, and no one else did like before steam at least um that was all great you know that was that was amazing um i wish they did more of that now uh, but I, I assume there's not nearly as much money in that as there is in just sort of putting out modern stuff yeah 
Um, Matt, now that we have all this discovery information and all kinds of background information, who do you think is going to win this court case? People who watched yeah. yesterday felt that Epic looked bad. Um, that seemed to be the consensus from day one. I mean, I think it's pretty transparent, uh, maybe even more so now, what Epic's trying to do. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to lose. Um, my guess is that no one wins, and there's going to be a settlement somewhere. They're already in court, though. Like once you go to court, like settlements very rarely happen after the, the case. Oh, it can happen. You can you can you can back off whenever the hell you can. Like, you, at it any would moment. take like a big revelation, I think, in the courtroom for that to happen, though. Uh, it would take all it would take is Epic realizing they're not going to win. Yeah. Or Apple realizing they're not going to win. But I don't um, think Apple. I don't think Apple would settle with Epic. They're pissed, dude. They're like, I mean, either doing? Apple settles or Epic backs off. Um, and there's a certain point when you're Epic, if it becomes clear you're not going to win this, having the, the having the L on the record is worse than backing out. Yeah, because money. Uh, we'll see matter, what they do. Apparently, no money is obviously charts. no object. So. Um, <laughs> And, you know, and, and if you back out, you can kind of play the, the you can kind of spin it as like, oh, well, we just couldn't hack it against the, the giant Apple that like kind of bullied the us monolith, out of our court case kind of thing. And like, Apple. You know, yeah. But we're going to continue fighting for the little guy. And like that would be my narrative for that if, if I was epic. Like just in it. And I don't I mean, obviously like people like us and probably most of the people that watch this show would not buy that line. But you'd be surprised how many people would. Yep. Also, people are real gullible if you tell them the same thing over and over again. I don't know if you've noticed that in the last few years. Yeah, I think we've but, no, uh, definitely noticed that in the last uh, three or four months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for sure. It's pretty sad what's going on right now with a certain part of America, but it is what it is. Um, and then a final note that was in the discovery as well was that uh, Walmart was going to launch a game streaming service, and that never happened. It was actually reported on if i remember correctly like at some point last year i remember seeing something on sifted about it but i think it was maybe like a rumor when i read the story and now it's confirmed that walmart was in fact trying to launch a game streaming service and that ultimately it uh ended up not launching and probably never will at this point now that it saw what happened to stadia so um mm-hmm. it was interesting seeing that a company like walmart was dipping its toes into something like that it's really bizarre um I would venture to guess, based upon what I've seen so far, that I think Apple's probably going to win the case. And I've wavered on that. At first, I was like, Apple's definitely going to win because Epic signed contracts with Apple, and that's just all there is to it. And then mm. Pactor made me consider some other things. Uh, but now that we've gone through like the discovery information and some of the stuff that's been going on with Epic behind the scenes and basically seeing how it's trying to buy its way into Apple space, it's a competitive thing. I'm leaning towards Apple winning the case, but we'll see. Anything could happen in the court of law. Yeah, I mean, Apple's main advantage is that uh, the law is generally going to side with a mega corporation because that's how the laws are written. Or sign with Um, contracts. Yeah, I mean, the the contract is not nearly as important as who who holds the contract in this context. Yeah. Um, And in this case, it's one of the most important companies in America. Yep. Um, And that'll uh, that'll get you a lot of leeway from the judge in a lot of cases. Um, and, and, you know, this is not, it's not a judgment, good or bad one way or the other on that. It's just saying that's how it works. Yeah. Like that's how it is. So Epic would need to prove that something is horrendously unfair that like whatever judge could not just simply could not deny is something that shouldn't work the way it does in favor of Apple versus in favor of the little, the little companies they deal with. Um, is Epic on the path to proving that it does not appear they are. Curious timing for Microsoft to announce 
that it is dropping its cut on both the PC and mm-hmm. Xbox stores. Like, it sounds like there might have been a little bit of collusion going on there with them and Epic, where they're like, Epic reaches out to them, and they're like, hey, you know, we got this big court case coming up. It would be really awesome if, like, the day before the case kicks off, if you could announce that you're lowering your cut so Apple looks even more like an outlier when we go to court. Like, there's definitely some theatrics going on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is handy for them to have a major player mm-hmm. with a better deal in place that, that reflects how Epic how Epic's working. And, um, oh, if, if Apple took over Epic, they'd call them Epic. Um <laughs> The uh, but I, yeah, that's something that it feels like Epic would uh, you know it certainly is nice that Epic has that to point to and be like Microsoft, that company that you know mm-hmm. uh, and have totally heard of, yeah. um, used to be run by Bill Gates, who saved us all. Um, <laughs> can, like, you, know, like, like you, you can see sort of where the the argument can go, like in in the theatrical court case, like lingo. Um, obviously, that's you know, court cases aren't actually like TV. Like they're they're very boring and and just mostly papers. Uh, but well, I think like, people are learning that because yesterday the whole court case started with questions about what is an app, right? Like I don't think the uh, lawyers have a lot of faith in the jury on this case because they were literally like, "What?" Well, you can't is an you can't have app? faith in juries. Like you have to make the case, and part of the case involves making sure everyone in that room, including the judge. Because judges are old people that don't know things yeah. when it comes to tech a lot of time. Like yeah. our legal system is horrendously ill-equipped to handle tech problems. It is. Like we've seen that over yeah. and over and over. judges don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, our and government so, can't either. Have you ever watched a hearing? Yeah. Like with Congress? Like with, oh, yeah. with someone from watch, tech? Watch it's the Zuckerberg hearings. Watch the Zuckerberg hearings where they're asking him, like, how do you make money? Yeah. And he's oh, like, yeah. And he's like, and we he's run like, ads. We run ads, Senator. <laughs> Grin. Oops, smile.exe. End. Yeah, it's like... Um, These are I'm the no people Zuckerberg. running our country. I'm man. a Zuckerberg fan, but like, uh, I, I, yeah, what? Well, congratulations, dude, for being able to sit there and take that shit for that long <laughs> so, from these complete idiot Republican man. senators that don't know how anything functions. No, it's like they're trapped in like 1948. <laughs> well, that's like, what that's the year they wish it was. They so. do. They wish it was 1948. A lot of those guys. It's sad. Uh, but anyway, that's the latest. Um, we probably won't talk about this again until there's a verdict. Um, and the only reason we brought it up this mm. week is because we got all this data exposed. We can see how all these small developers and publishers, I mean, I'll say this, Matt, if I was one of those little guys and I got some of these payouts from Epic, I would be like, hot damn. Like, Yeah. Well, most, almost everyone in a, of a small developer I've talked to about these kinds of things with this and Game Pass and such, they've all been very happy with what they were paid out. Dude, if the developer like, of Celeste gets like 300 grand, to just mm-hmm. send a file over? Dude, that's jackpot. That's like oh, yeah. their founder's salary for the next two years. Like Well they well, I know like one guy, you know, they're they're in a it's a small game that like I would say most people have never heard of, but they, they got on Game Pass and they're like, Yeah, they paid us more than we thought we were going to make across all three platforms, Ron. Yeah. So like basically it made every every sale of the game became profit. Yep. At that point, because they had made their development budget, they back. made their development costs back just from the Game Pass payment. That's great. Like I, that's the one thing I loved about that list that we were looking at is looking at all these little studios. It just got huge payouts for doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's great. Like kudos to Epic. You know, applause for Epic if it's going to help out the smaller studios like that, and hopefully mm-hmm. that money goes back into those yeah. studios like, to create their next game. Who knows if that if that payout there is one of the reasons we have Subnautica Sub Zero now? It's true. 
Yep. I mean, it was planned all along, but maybe it's now way more robust and mm-hmm. made way bigger than it was going to bring in more be. people. Are they able, to, you know, they're able to, you know, even if it just comes to like further funding, it's like, look, this is our company, and we made this money, and we're solvent, and we're good, and we have a future, and yeah. that's how we got our loan. Kind of, you know, yeah. it can it can impact the future of these these small companies in infinite ways. Yep. So kudos, um, Epic, for that. I mean, they are it is definitely supporting indie developers, indie publishers. Um, it's overpaying them, but who cares? <laughs> They'll just sell some more umbrellas in Fortnite, and an hour later, it'll all be paid for. So uh, I do like that Epic is giving back. And it's not even that I'm, like, rooting against Epic in this court case. Like, if, if I felt that Epic was in the right on this, I would be like, Epic should win. I just don't think they are. I think when you sign a contract, that's your word. Like, I am someone who, when I shake someone's hand or I agree to something, I don't even have to write it on a line. If I commit, that's it. My word is my bond. And so for me to see Epic sign a contract and then try to get out of it, it just doesn't jive with me. I totally get some people may not care about that at all, but I do. I try to be a man of principle, and my handshake or my word is my bond. And these people sign legal agreements with Apple on this stuff. So if you don't like it, don't sign the contract. And when the contract's up, don't sign it again, and don't sell your crap on iPhones. It's that simple. Apple made the iPhone. You didn't. So if you make a piece of hardware, you can control all that stuff, but you haven't. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. To me, it's just a matter of principle. We'll see if eventually, with all the legal gymnastics, they can make it into something else in the court of law. But we probably won't touch this again until we know who won the court case, and then we'll try to make up excuses, or at least I will, for why Apple didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh, there was a kind of a big Sony event this last week. It was a state of play, uh, but it really wasn't that big. It was really just a showcase for the new Ratchet and Clank game, Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, a PlayStation 5 exclusive. Um, and I am completely and wholly convinced at this point that it is, in fact, going to be a PlayStation 5 exclusive forever. They showed off a big, like, 15, 16 minute chunk of gameplay that I'm going to start playing right now because otherwise I don't think we'll get to watch all of it on the show before we're done discussing it. Um, But they did. They showed a huge chunk of gameplay, Matt, and then they had like a little bit of like a a trailer-ish thing at the end of it that shows off even more of the game. But this is undoubtedly the biggest look that we've got at this game so far. Um, They really unveiled the... I mean, we knew that there was a female Lombax from the Mm. the beginning, the very first trailer. Uh, But they do kind of reveal more about her. Her name is Rivet. Um, She is a resistance fighter from another dimension. Um, And as you've seen in some of the trailers before, Ratchet and Clank end up in her universe. And she actually, in this, ends up taking Clank, um, unknowingly taking Ratchet's sidekick off with her. Uh, She is a playable character. She has a large hammer. Um, she's also an engineer, but they haven't really revealed anything where where she might be kind of this person that you use to, like, fabricate stuff or craft or things like that, although I'm guessing that might end up being the case. Um, but she appears to be almost as big a part of the game as Ratchet. Um, they also show off in this footage, at least in the kind of the montage at the end, that there are separate Clank levels like there have been in prior games. Um Digital Foundry did a great analysis of this. Have you checked it out, Matt? No, I have had, I've only watched snippets of this, actually. Oh. Um, because I don't want to see it. Oh. 
I want to play the game. Okay. Like I, I saw a fair amount of it. A fair amount. I saw the stuff with Rivet, and I saw like you know some of the stuff with like you know where she swings the hammer on the thing, and the and the level literally loads yep. in the time it takes her to swing the hammer. Like there's a, there's a lot of cool shit in here, but there was a point at which I'm just like, I don't, I'm I'm done. <laughs> like I don't want to, I don't want to look at this anymore. I mean, it's pretty mind blowing, dude. Like there, yeah. so they show some racing sessions. Like this feels like the first PS5 game. It really does, although. Well, no, I don't want to. I don't want to disparage Demon Souls or anything, or Miles Morales or anything. But this is the first time I've looked at some of this and been like, "Oh, this is not." Yeah, possible there's no way you can the, do this on a PlayStation Four. There's just yeah. no way. Or or Series X. I'm kind of thinking like mm. I feel like this really leans so hard on that that architecture that Cerny talked about. It's I don't possible. know if he, I don't know if you could replicate this exactly on a Series X. So Matt, I know you didn't watch it, and I hate to spoil stuff for you, but. The swing and the hammer thing is it the only time where it showed like the crazy mm-hmm. fast loading? Like they show a racing course where you race through rifts and mm-hmm. literally the world just changes. At yeah, the snap I, of I a saw finger. I saw clips of that on Twitter. I've seen I've probably seen like most of it through like kind of um, uh, just osmosis. little gifs and stuff. Yeah, because everybody was talking about it for like a, a solid two days. So yep. Um, this this game is just slathered in ray tracing. It's mm-hmm. unreal. Again, I want to go back to what I said before. Digital Foundry did a great analysis of this. Some of the stuff I'm going to talk about are repeats or things that I picked up by watching their analysis. Um, one thing that they pointed out that I hadn't noticed, but then as soon as they pointed it out, I wish I hadn't heard it, and maybe I shouldn't bring it up on Game Face because of that. But one thing that they did show that helps the game run better is that anything, and again, ray tracing, a big part of ray tracing are reflections. Uh, So in Miles Morales, I don't know if you remember at the open where you're walking down the city street and you could look in like the glass windows of the stores and you could Mm -hmm. see like the whole world reflected in those doors. That is all ray tracing. And so a lot of the ray tracing in this game is also reflections. In fact, Matt, I don't know if you realize it or not, but when she's coming down to land that hammer, you can see her reflection on the visor mm-hmm. of the enemy that she's attacking with the hammer. Like, there yeah, like is... that's. A, I mean, like ray tracing isn't free, but it makes it ridiculous in terms of hardware costs. Yeah, but it makes it it makes it ridiculously. Once you're doing it, you can do stuff that that feels like it should cost more yep. processing wise. It's 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 a it's a it's an expensive thing to turn on, but what you get from it is absurd. Well, the other thing about it is that Insomniac is being real smart with how it uses it. So, again, as Digital Foundry pointed out, if you look at the reflections, they have they're using low poly models in the reflections. Mm -hmm. So there's like a a little pod that's like laying on the ground and it's reflecting in the puddle uh, that's that it's sitting on top of. But if you look at the reflection in the puddle the pod looks like an octagon instead of being yeah. like perfect. But it's rounded. like, that's what you need to do to fool the eye. You know, it's like, no, if you, if you like really stare at the reflections there, you're going to know if you look at, if you're, you know, like I did that with Miles Morales a couple of times where I, I was stuck on the side of a glass building and like, you can see the traffic on the street below, like kind of driving in the, you know, the reflection of the building. If you look back, like there's, it's like half the amount of traffic that yeah, is actually and the on cars the road, are boxy and the cars or, are boxy, and the pedestrians are. You know, there's not. It's simple, but it's simplistic. But you're not supposed to sit there on a building and stare at it. You're not supposed to look into the puddle and say it's supposed to be there, so that when you when you pass over it quickly, your eye registers it as real. It's one of and, those things, though, that once you find out about it, you can't forget it. So yeah, but like that's how that's all all game stuff. You know, yeah. we're, we're we're a couple generations out from being able to real time reflect exact duplicates. But when you're swinging through the city, 
and all that stuff's yeah. flashing by you on the panels of the of the of the wall, or you're or you're like you know running past the orb over the puddle. Um, all your your brain's just registering that it all looks really convincing. It's like, just it, interesting that even with PlayStation Five, there's you still have to do stuff like this. Well, it's not inter- that's not interesting in the sense that sense it's it's that's just the reality of things. Like you, there's no reason to waste that power on doing that because except for the one time like you know us or digital founder or someone's going to stare at that thing like you know it's convincing 99 percent of the time until you try to intentionally try to break the illusion well until you know that's the problem like now i know so everything i look at i look at like <laughs> whatever's in the reflection you're not going to rem- you're not going to notice that when you're running through the, the yeah. that race scene or anything yeah. like that like, yeah it's it's, it's irrelevant you know it's, it's like there's a point at which this all isn't real. Like I know that Tauntaun isn't real in Empire Strikes Back. Do I think about that when I watch it run across Hoth? No. Like it, it, it's it's we have to allow ourselves to be fooled at some point if we're going to go along this ride for these things. It's a, it's an interesting sort of thing to ponder, though. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, regret the, the, no, there, I regret learning about it. To be honest with you, I was like, no. There will ne- I mean, there will never. Be, it's just part and parcel of like sitting on the building and watching the traffic not match up on Miles Morales. It didn't ruin anything for me. It's just interesting to see that tech at work. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. Also, I mean, it's they're also probably never going to get to a place where they're like, you know what? It's worth to render yeah, the things that are reflected at one to one because they're no. always going to want to make what people are focusing on look as good as possible instead of yeah. the reflections. Um, yeah. Looking. Unless you are dealing with a game where the reflections are the point. Right. Right. Like, if it's like a game where like you have to like dive in and out of the mirror like right, as right. you're fighting or, you or something reflections for a mechanic right. or something if yeah. it's just there to make the environment look good like you're never going to w- want to waste that kind of hard we are never going to waste the, the hardware power or the, or the clock speed on that like you're always going to want to do the bare minimum to make it convincing to a casual pass by and you know throw your real heart your horsepower at uh, the stuff that people are going to be staring right at which is you know characters and you know, effects and things like, you know, and I think Insomniac is doing an excellent job of prioritizing that in this game. Like it, Oh, it's unreal. It the is, amount of detail in this game is bonkers. So these enemies you're seeing right now, if you notice, when they smash down, they leave indents in the mm-hmm. ground. Like, there's just all these little details that are scattered through this, like, 15-minute demo. It's mind-blowing, mm-hmm. really, Matt. It really is freaking mind-blowing. Like, it is right on the cusp of CG, like a CG movie. Yeah. It's, it's almost as looks as good as the Ratchet and Clank CG film. I, I bet the story is better too. Probably so. Um, <laughs> but they also show some new mechanics. You're seeing wall running right now. There's a mm-hmm. tether that you can use not only to latch onto rifts and get pulled into other dimensions, but also just for platforming. Um, and there's a there's a dash, and there's one sequence we just saw a couple minutes ago where where Ratchet runs on a wall, jumps off the wall, double jumps swings with the tether and then boosts horizontally to make it to a platform. And I just watched it and I was like, oh, this game's going to be hard, isn't it? <laughs> like, and I, I love platforming. There's going to be parts. There's going to be parts. Yeah, where, like, man. If you're not good enough, you don't get it. I was surprised that they put something like that in there so early. I'm glad they did so I can start thinking about it. Because this, mm-hmm. this game also comes out on June 11th. Like we're yeah, literally well, like a month away. A, I'm guessing it's going to be a thing where it's like... Um, uh, you know, there's gonna, I, I bet you'll have a thing that's sort of like like what Mario does, where getting through the main stuff is pretty pretty simple. Yeah. But there's going to be side stuff where it's like you got to master this shit if it, you want to. Look, it still looks through. like a kid's game. Let's be honest. Like mm. most people are going to look at this and be like, "Oh, I'll buy that for my son or my daughter or whatever." Um, 
but that's the beauty of Insomniac's games is they are very deceptive. They look like they're made for kids, but if you're an adult, you can enjoy well, them also, just uh, as much, if not kids more. Can, kids can do that. Yeah, you're right. Kids are really good at freaking games. The kids are going to be better at doing the hard stuff than the parents Probably. most of the time, I oh, promise. Definitely for some parents who don't play games at all, absolutely. Um, oh, then they show a boss fight that goes through multiple dimensions. Like, you start the boss fight in one universe, and then, like, you go to another one, and then you go to another one. Like, this is all this stuff, mm-hmm. it's all things that we've never done in games before. It's mind-boggling what they've done with this SSD tech. It's really amazing. It's and also it's- kind of amazing that, like, how good a fit Ratchet is for this idea of this tech. It's like, it's like, it's like they presented Insomniac with this is what the PlayStation 5 is going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what can we do with Ratchet with that? And they're like, dimensional rifts. Yeah. Like, you know, and I guess, and they just went full, full. It actually reminds me, I don't want to insult uh, the Ratchet game by saying this, but it reminds me of that scene in Valerian and the city of a thousand planets where he's like tearing through all the different environments and biomes in the, in the city of a thousand planets. And every time you go through a different area, you see something that's more interesting than the story you're being told <laughs> in the movie. Uh-huh. Like I think of that, except in ratchet, you, you occasionally get to stop and play with what's happening there. Um, but it reminds me of that. It reminds me of that thing where you're just, you're just getting visual information thrown at you so fast. And every bit of it seems interesting. Every bit of it seems like something you want to stop and look at, but you can't because you're doing this other thing. Um, and it's like, like I can't think of another time I've seen a video game do that. Yep. Here's like, a topiary gun. A, it's just on a different level here. That turns enemies into plants. <laughs> <laughs> they showed that. They showed a weapon called a shatter bomb. They showed a couple new armaments, both of them cool AF. Um, obviously, that's something Insomniac is known for, all the gadgets and weapons in the Ratchet and Clank series. Um, and Resistance. Yeah, They've always been good at weird yep. weapon wheels. Yep, that's right. Um, and then you just saw that there's vendors where you can purchase and upgrade your weapons if you want to. Um, here's one th- cool thing I noticed, Matt. There's this one scene where this group of like small creatures runs past Ratchet, and he's in a cave when they run past and there's like all this dust being kicked up by them as they run past them. They run out into the sunlight and the sun lights the dust. Hmm. Dude. (laughs) And then they run back while they keep running and then run under another cave and the dust changes color because the sun isn't hitting the dust anymore, dude. Like Mm -hmm. this shit is insane. Like, (laughs) Literally, just like grab any like five second clip from this 16 minutes and just really look at it. Watch like a rocket fly overhead and watch how it lights everything as it flies. Like, it is just crazy, dude. Like, as to your point, this started this whole conversation. The first real PlayStation 5 game. This is it. Mm-hmm. It's. It's just the only downside. Shit. The only downside seems to be that they are putting this out still at a time where you can't get one I of know. these damn consoles. I know. I do think this holiday season, though, this will be the game that everybody gets, like their kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to be one of those games that appears and then six weeks later nobody cares about it anymore. It's just too. No, amazing. I think just just by virtue of the fact that you can't get a PlayStation Five easily right now, this game will remain a desired item for a long time. I think it'll be like like Zelda with Nintendo. Yeah. 
You know, everyone buys a Switch now, still buys Breath of the Wild. Um, I would not be surprised if this game is one of those types of games where it's one of the mm-hmm. first things everybody picks up with their console. It's just, it's a technical tour de force. I hate to use that phrase because it's so played out, but it really is. Like, watch this little dude right there go through that cave. Like, it's, wow. The game just looks freaking awesome. It's a month away. I cannot wait. Towards the end, uh, they show some, like, really small clips of some new, like, kind of parts to the game. Um, you've already seen, like, a lot of the racing stuff. There's this, like, snaily crab thing that you get on. They show rocket shoes, like these shoes that you <clears> put on and you can fly. Um, they show, like, a Panzer Dragoon-like segment where you're flying on the back of a dragon. Uh, they talk about photo mode. There's, like, a bunch of different costumes in the game that are being basically incorporated in the game just for the photo mode. And then there are, like, extensive accessibility options because, of course, there are because it's Insomniac and it crosses every T and dots every I. So I could not be more excited for this game. I will say this, Matt, and I'm with you now. Like, I will not watch anything else for this game. I'm done. This 16-minute gameplay chunk, that's all I needed. Like, it mm-hmm. got me, like, beyond the hype zone, and I'm ready to go. So um, coming out right around E3 time, too. So there's going to be a lot of chatter yep. around it. Like, it's it's just freaking hot, dude. The game looks hot, and I wish there were more games that we were checking out right now that looked like this. Um, I feel like, you know, Microsoft is really holding back. It's not really showing a lot of the first-party stuff for Series X. And I just don't think there's a lot of stuff ready for PlayStation yet that they can show that looks on this level. I just don't think there is. So, No, I don't know how many people they got that are capable of doing making it anyway. something on this level. I mean, you got this, and you got Insomniac, you got Naughty Dog, you got Sony Santa Monica, and maybe Gorilla. We'll see what Horizon... Forbidden West looks like at the end of the year. I mean, it's pretty um, crazy, dude, that Insomniac. Because, look, Insomniac... If maybe super- Sucker Punch? I'd like to see what Sucker Punch can do unleashed on this thing, given what Ghost of Tsushima looked like on PS4. Yeah. I feel like Insomniac has gone in waves. Like, I felt like at the beginning of the PlayStation 2 era, they were one of the best developers in the industry. Oh, they were... Yeah, they were They were on top of the world for the and, PS2 yep. stuff. And then I feel like the PS3 era, they fell off a little. So, I mean, they were prolific... Um, they put I out think more they, games, they but more they weren't games, as high think, quality or as unique. I didn't. I think they were more, at, their, at their most uneven. Then uh, you had uh, you know because you had the, you know the Ratchet and Clanks were the, were good on the PS3 for the most part. Um, Resistance had its ups and downs. Yep. Uh, Fuse was maybe their first real misfire. Um, although Fuse had really creative weapons in it too. Like they they never disappoint on the weapon yep. imagination. That's true. Um, and I yeah and you know they they. They did fine. You know, they've done a lot of good stuff. I just think this is, this feels like, ins- it does feel kind of like a return to form or a, or a Insomniac Unleashed thing somehow, even though I don't feel like they've been out of form or held back. No, they've never past. been bad. It just feels like this is like they are, they are going next level with this thing in a way that, that we haven't seen in a long time. It just feels like they have a lot of exceptional talent. At yeah. the studio. And I don't think it hurts that their reputation for being a great place to work, I don't yeah. think it's coincidental that they have great talent there. I think it's because of their reputation for being a great place to work. Yeah. It's, it's a testament to, you know, if you run a company that is that people like to work at, good people will work at your company. Up. Yep. And you're seeing like, it now, full display. It is just. And I know so many people who have been there for, you know, I know, I know a couple of people have been there for 15 years or, or more. more. You know, yeah. like, like people don't want to leave and yeah. that's good. Yep. Like, that's if, what you want. 
But like their and why animation, would you leave when you're making like, stuff like this? Just like their animation department, Matt, is on like yeah. CG level. Like the guys mm-hmm. who do the animation of the characters and their faces, like they could go work at like Pixar oh, yeah. or wherever. Like, oh yeah, I mean, I know one of the guys who was one of the big main animators on uh, Spider-Man and Miles Morales and stuff, and um, you know, and, they, and he a he is constantly recognized internally for what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone up to Ted Price knows his name, as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, he gets promoted and 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 recognized Raising constantly. Um, like they absolutely recognize who he is, and that he needs to be the person to sort of distribute his information to the to the to the newer people. Like they recognize talent so quickly and readily and positively over there that like every, every story I hear from people I know over there is just how validated and happy they feel that what they do is appreciated by everyone all the way up to the top. Yep. And like, if that sounds more unbelievably fairy taleish than anything that happens <laughs> in this ratchet footage to me, you know, like, well, like, you know, also they've come out and made statements on certain, you know, work visas and things like that and shown that they're inclusive and that they're accepting yep. of all people, whoever wants to work for them. They're more than I mean, big, there. big props and, and congrats to Ted price and all the people that have run that company for so long for just just doing it right. I've never heard like, anyone say a single bad thing about Insomniac. No. We never hear crunch the, the, stories the only, from there. Like The only anything. complaint I've ever heard from Insomniac is well, one time we sent somebody, I can't remember which producer, but we sent someone to do, so, do some interview stuff there or something. They came back and they're like, there were no muffins today. <laughs> like that was it. Oh, one look, of the Insomniac things- will get pissed. I've had conversations with Ted Price where he'd be like, oh, really? Like, you gave our game like that score. Like I've, <laughs> I've had those kinds of conversations, but never mm. anyone who's ever worked there or worked with them has ever come back and be like, "Oh, insomniac." Blah, oh blah, no, blah. they're not pushovers. They at all. Like well, that's, they believe in their yeah. work, and I respect, believe in their I respect work. that. Like when Ted called me, I was never like, "What are you doing, dude?" Like I expected it. Honestly, I'm like, mm-hmm. "Ted's gonna call me." Like I didn't even review this, but I'm gonna have to like defend Justin's or Ryan's or Matt's like opinion on this. Um, and, you know, he wasn't vicious or mean. He would just call and be like, okay, let's go through the points of this review, and I'll tell you where I disagree with them. And then you tell mm-hmm. me why you decided it was worth mentioning. And fair enough. Let's do it. So I've never heard a single person say anything bad about Insomniac. And, uh, yeah, just a great place Certainly to work. Certainly not internally. No. It, it seems to be a great place to work, and it seems to be coming through in its work. So kudos. Yeah, even people I know who have like jumped from like major developer to major developer over the years, and you know, they worked over here and they worked over here, you know, big names. And then they, like, they got something in Insomniac and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And then like there, they go. So, you know, the, several of these people, it's like two or three people, but like, they were like, you know, they, they work places for one project or two project and then they move on. Yeah. And they just all stayed yeah. at Insomniac. Like, no, this is where, this is my home now. Yep. This so if you're looking be. for a place to get a job in the games industry, it's a great place and, to start. And you're real, <laughs> real, real good at what you do. You do have to be. You have to be, you really gotta be the best. Yep. Or if sure. you have just, you're very creative and you have really good ideas. Yeah. But yeah. So oh, they'll, they'll find you. Like, they'll find your, yeah. you know, they'll They're find deep your, in the community your talent. Too. They're looking That's for the thing people is like, and... they don't care about where you went to school or who you know or what yep. the, the they will you know the, the people in insomniac the people running insomniac the people supervising each department will find people you know that they know like oh this person has that this person has it yep. they have that thing and they and they all they're almost always right yep it's, it's incredible ratchet and clank ripped apart june 11th playstation 5 exclusive be there or be square let's move on 
We're going to talk next about IO Interactive. I'm not a huge fan. If you guys remember, we just discussed Hitman 3 not that long ago. I was not a huge fan of Hitman 3. I feel like it As got I a, recall. I feel like it got a pass from a lot of journalists, and people just disregarded a lot of issues that the game had. And um, uh, the rest of us think you just don't get it, right? which is fine. Everybody thought I was crazy because I shouldn't expect to be able to just mow everybody down in a, in a video game. God, that was like four months ago. Was it? Like <laughs> three months. It was yeah. January I'm sure January you all 20th. remember that conversation. Um, well, uh, but like, no, it just doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah, it was a while now. Um, I'm sure you guys remember that conversation. But anyway, uh, IO is back in the news this week because rumors are flying. One, that it's expanding and building a new studio. And two, that studio is going to be tasked with creating a let me get this right here a a fantasy rpg in a connected world codenamed project dragon matt does that sound familiar at all to you um i mean it sounds like about half the things i've ever played um dragon agey is there some other game maybe that it might remind you of and you can't see the B-roll right now, but I'm playing the trailer that I'm trying to uh, get you to guess. Are you trying to make me say, say Scalebound? Yep. <laughs> so I don't buy it. No? You don't think there it's are similarities here? I mean, I guess, but like, no, I don't know anyone who'd want to emulate Scalebound as their project. Like, but it's not just the idea of what Scalebound was, which my guess is Scalebound was probably more ambitious than what they're going to try to do with this game. It's the whole <laughs> other part of, okay... We're going to have this studio that a good amount of people like work on this thing that they have no experience working on. Somewhat. I mean, the the scale-bound situation is it's weird. Like, this last week, I actually did sort of a weird rabbit hole on the scale-bound stuff uh-huh. uh, on various things. And, like, the big problem with scale-bound seems to have been sort of what you're talking about, where they went to Platinum, you know, and Platinum, and Platinum tried to do this crazy thing. But the thing about it was it was like a specific, very specific mismatch between developer and project because and because one of the videos I saw about this pointed this out uh, I can't remember which one it was but it was maybe it was what happened on it or something basically like all of Platinum stuff especially to that point focused on one thing like they picked one element of the game which was always the combat system yep. and they made that shine beyond everything else and everything else was sort of like there to support it yep. but it wasn't like outstanding nothing else about those platinum games were outstanding it was the combat and with scalebound they had to get it all up to the level of what their combat usually was and they just couldn't do it yeah like that was the the speculation there and i think that makes a lot of sense and then you um, look at io interactive with hitman io interactive does one thing they right. do hitman yeah. Literally, that's all they've ever done. And my look, my big issue so. with Hitman 3 is if you look at it objectively, like a lot of it is crap. Like people may like the concept of being an assassin and going in someplace, and it may like the options that it presented with you, but there's really no denying that technically it wasn't quite up to scratch. And well, I'll deny that all fucking day because that's bullshit. But that um, game doesn't look very good, Matt. It's not going to be even in the top ten best good. graphics of the year. Like, I don't care if it's top ten, whatever. I think Hitman Three looks good. Like, it you're looks not gonna, fine, you're though. Not, you're not going to change my mind on this, so you can stop trying to. But like, the problem is. I don't see how Hitman gameplay, which I like very much, and I think is technically as proficient as it needs to be, not particularly ambitious beyond what it is. I don't know how you translate that to 
what they just described there. Right. Like, I see how you translate Hitman's gameplay into the James Bond game they're going to make. Like, that's on their docket, too. Yeah. Like, you tell me they're going to make a James Bond game. I'm like, okay, I get that. I get, like, it's not going to be as, like, car chasey and action-filled, but it's going to be more like the spy in the undercover situation doing the Casino Royale thing. Like, I get that. But you tell me they're making, like, a fantasy-connected world RPG. I'm like, I don't know what that looks like from this company. I mean, I'm not all that confident about James Bond either. The shooting in Hitman 3 is crap. Like... They're good Again, at I don't, making I don't agree stealth with that either, games, but, um, but they, I, I, everything else that they've tried, they have not succeeded at. Um, I again, they've been doing this for a long time, and these three games have been exceptionally successful. So somebody likes them. Um, James Bond, I can totally see. Uh, I can see like a dichotomy there, where like you're going to have people who expect Goldeneye, and that's not what they're going to get. Um, but I think, you think if they're they just going to make- repurpose Hitman into James Bond. And just make it all about espionage and stealth again? I don't think they're going to have it as much as Hitman is. Um, Certainly, I would think that, like, uh, you know, Hitman doesn't have any points in its levels where you're supposed to have a shootout. You know what I mean? Like, you're, I mean, you can, but if you've done that, you've probably broken something or done something wrong. I feel like their James Bond game will probably have sections where you are supposed to chase a guy down or break cover or do that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't think it'll be just Hitman, except the guy has a different accent and hair. Um, but I do think that there it might the balance might be more like 60-40 espionage. I mean, look, you know I'll admit, I mean? it makes way more sense to do 007 than a fantasy open world than RPG. Like fable. <laughs> like, yeah, I... Like, you're, I you're don't asking, know what you're that asking looks to hear like. from I.O. And listen, by the way, this is supposed to be an Xbox exclusive, I should add. What you're basically asking for from IO, and it may even be a bigger ask, is what Gorilla did going from Kill Zone to mm-hmm. Horizon. And there's a reason that when someone asks you, like, "Hey, can you think of a studio that oh was always known for one thing and they did something else really well?" There's a reason you think of Gorilla because it's the only one that's ever done it. It's because it's really freaking hard. Like to me, IO Interactive would be the last developer or one of the last developers that has a pedigree at all that I would put on a project like this. And look, they may prove me wrong. Gorilla proved a lot of people wrong. It's possible. But if I'm Xbox and I'm looking for somebody to invest in to build a game like this, IO Interactive would not be anywhere near the top of my list. Would they be near the top of yours? No. I mean, even if they were, I would assume they wouldn't have any interest in it. Right. Yeah. Because it's you not know, in the like, wheelhouse. Like it, it, It's weird that either side agreed to do it to yeah. me. Um, and maybe they got an idea. Maybe it's not going to be, you know, like a scale bound fable thing we're picturing. Maybe it's going to be more of like that's that section of Dragon Age Inquisition where you go to a party and have political machinations the whole time. <laughs> right. Um, that yeah. would be in their wheelhouse. Um, yeah. And then sometimes like a fight breaks out or something like I could see that like like I could see IO adapting their sort of formula into something that kind of create takes like a standard action like action oriented franchise or concept and turns it into a, maybe a more slow paced, thoughtful thing. Um, I think there's a, probably a market for that. Certainly there's a market for what Hitman did because Hitman three outsold Hitman two by something like double. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it, like, there's something there, you know? Um, and I, I also say to someone who like, you know, I'm not a huge dragon age fan, but I did think that that dragon age inquisition, this inquisition mission, inquisition mission, um, we're you're at the party. I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of the whole game. Yeah. 
I always um, remember stuff like that. There was that Mission Impossible for N64 where you had to, you were at the party, you had to like yeah. call someone in the bathroom and poison them. Like I, I remember yeah. that. That game wasn't very good, and it's like twenty some years old. But I remember that mission. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Scan their face and use yeah. the face tech thing. Right. And, yeah, yeah, it stands out. Like, the, like there were ideas in there that, that made it made sense. Um, and we're not what everyone else was doing, which was kind of the key. And now, like, you know, even if Hitman is the same from game to game, for the most part, it is singular. Like, there isn't anyone else making Hitman alikes. Yeah. Um, for a reason. Uh, well, I think for a couple of reasons, and they're not the reasons you're implying because you're being a dick about it. But uh, I think <laughs> what the, do you think my reason is? I think your reason is because no one likes them and they suck. I think the no, real reason. I just reason, think there's not a big, a lot of demand for completely 100% stealth driven games. Probably not, um, but I think there's yeah there's there's a demand for the kind of game Hitman is from people who like Hitman, and they sell well enough that I would think there'd be, like I I would think there'd be a way to break out of just Hitman and and let people know who like Hitman, hey, we made a game like Hitman, and if you like Hitman, you're gonna like this. I think the problem is. I think those games are very hard to make because they have so many moving parts. Like I describe them as a, as a puzzle box, uh, like a moving kind of clockwork puzzle box, uh, sort of like Outer Wilds. Like Outer Wilds is a little bit like Hitman yeah. in, in a sense. Um, but I think those are very hard to make. And if you don't manage to kind of let that audience know you're there, you could lose a lot of money making it because you're not going to be a breakout hit beyond that, I don't think. Um it's, it makes me very interested in what the James Bond game is going to be from these guys, because if it does work, if it does hit, if it shows people, hey, it, it can be like this and everybody like likes it, you could have like a minor revolution on your hands um, if people felt the need to to emulate that uh, going forward. Uh, this this fantasy game, though, like I have all kinds of questions, because um, also it feels like if you, you wouldn't go to IO if you just wanted another standard bog standard kind of action RPG fantasy game. No, you I must have some idea in your head. Right. You must have some idea in your head for this thing that made IO the obvious choice or made IO the, the viable choice. Or you, you, you said, oh, this would be cool if we did this. We should call those Hitman guys. They would they could do that. Like, it makes That's me wonder possible. what that idea is. Or you know, Microsoft like what, at this point is just fishing for ex- exclusive content, and they're taking whatever they can get. Like, yeah, and, and, and they're getting done with their money. Are, are we clear on whether who whose idea it was? was no, it, was, was it, was it IO reporting. pitching to the, Microsoft? Or was it Microsoft pitching to them? No one knows yet. Um, so, like, so that's the question. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Like, I don't really have any ideas what it could be. I mean, I'll certainly um, give it a chance, and I hope that it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I always root for every game to be awesome. Like, I hope it's something that, like, we see and it's like, oh, yeah, I get the IO pedigree here. I understand why they're doing I hope it's not just, like, IO makes Fable. Like, or Assassin's like, Creed. Like, I mean, Assassin's, Assassin's Creed, Creed has like, heavy stealth elements, and it's open-world action RPG-ish. Yeah, I mean, there's room for that. I, I, am, I am always interested in kind of the alternate universe where instead of sort of morphing into an action-adventure game, Assassin's Creed more went the direction of the planning, the assassination, and doing the the, the footwork and all. You know, the first yeah. game kind of had that thing where each section was planning one particular assassination, yeah. and the like more information you gathered, you could, you know, the more you could kind of plan out how you were approaching it. Yep. Like, I would really be interested in, in an alternate universe where Assassin's Creed went that direction rather than the direction. I mean, I love the Assassin's Creed games, don't get me wrong. But um, I, I would be interested in to see what that looks like, and I feel like maybe IO Interactive could make something along those lines. Yeah. Um, especially if, like, you know, the Hitman games have sort of gone into this direction of 
here's the level, here's what happens in it. As you piece everything together, you can do weird little tricks with it and go different directions through it and do all these alternate stories through it. I would be interested to see a a game from them that has the same sort of uh, concept to it, but is more focused on there being like one correct way to figure it out. And like you could do messy ways and like, not that it would shut you down if you did it wrong, but I would, I, there is in Hitman, there are generally like a number of like really good effective ways to do it, but there's no like one perfect way. Yeah. And I would like to, I'd like to see them try their hand at a game where it's like, there's a bunch of ways to do this, but there's one perfect way to do it. Can you find it? I think that would be really hard to do. With I think you're an right. Open world yeah. action RPG, but you're right. If they could do it, it mm-hmm. could be like mind bending. Like yeah, I mean, you could do it like Assassin or like uh, uh, like Arkham City, where like you've got that world, but then like the, the the missions or whatever take place in more like dungeons, and those dungeons function as like yeah. Hitman levels, sort of. Like I think that kind that. of addresses a problem, a bigger problem with action RPGs in general, is that they're so concerned with quantity instead of quality with the mission objectives. Like, I just feel Mm -hmm. like the games are designed anymore to make them last 40 hours instead of giving you a kick-ass, like, 18 to 20 hours, where every mission was like that, where you could accomplish it multiple ways. Um, Most action RPGs... can't all be The Witcher 3. Right. But but you're right. Like, I just don't feel like... (laughs) Even Cyberpunk 2077 can't be The Witcher 3 in that regard. And it it kind of marketed itself as that Mm -hmm. and still fell short. So... But it definitely, I think that game definitely fell prey to what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, I, we can't spend any more time on this because we have a huge game that we need to get to, and I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about it. And there's not much more information anyway. Um, look, ultimately, I wish IO Interactive luck. Like, I hope it goes well, and I hope they release an action RPG that blows my freaking mind. Uh, well, Guapo is- makes a good point that uh, Splinter Cell is somewhat similar to what Hitman yeah, tries to do, and true. but we don't really have that anymore. No, they went away because people stopped buying them. So, um, look, I do, I agree with you, Matt. I do think that because when you do have a developer working on something that has never worked on something like that before, there is absolutely a huge opportunity for innovation there. And so, I'm not shutting the door on this at all. I hope the game ends up great. Just right now, it seems like Microsoft is just like throwing money around like it's candy, and it's not thinking too hard about where the money's going. I hope they prove me wrong. Um, because it just means more great games for all of us. But right now, it just seems like Microsoft is just, it's just writing checks left and right. It's crazy all the money that's flying out of that place. No, they need it. They need some kind of diversity of, of catalog here. Yeah. Like, they can't just keep making the same thing over and over again. But you know, they have Avowed and Fable. Those are both fantasy action RPGs. Oh, sure. But are those, you know, I'm, you know and they'll be, they'll be notable, but they're also somewhat known quantities. Yeah. Uh, you can come up with something, you know, like, to some degree, you're sort of still fishing for the next Dark Souls, um, a game that no one could have predicted would be what it was. Yeah. Um, Demon Souls, you know, Demon Souls is is sort of the 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 real place that happened, and uh, Sony dismissed it so hard they didn't even bring it out here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, um, aware. It's crazy what happened with that. Whole then Nam- Namco brings it over, and Namco's like, "That went well. Make another one." And yeah. then, like by that point, Sony's like, "Well, it's too late." You know, Sony missed. You know, the Souls games could be Sony in-house first first party exclusives, and but they the missed standards that. Are different. You never like, know. Bandai Namco's okay with selling two or three million copies of a game, as we saw with Days Gone. PlayStation's not. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, no, we're not messing around with these two, three million sales. We need 10, 15, 20. 
Um, for their boutique stuff, yeah. But at the time the Souls games came about, that wasn't necessarily the, the case. Yeah, even Bloodborne, a lot of people love it, but you know, it didn't get it didn't sell anywhere near most of PlayStation's first party stuff for PS4. So yeah, but, but it still sold I mean, very well. That's their problem. It um, is. You're right. It is their problem. They need to recalibrate for sure. But it mm-hmm. appears they're calibrating in the other direction right now. It's like they're going even more in on that at this point. They're like, nope, you don't sell 15 million. You're out of here. It's brutal. It's it's unrealistic expectations is what it is, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we got to move on because we're going to talk next about... Reminds me of that Square. You remember when when Square put out Tomb Raider and they thought it was going to sell like 15 yeah. million copies and it sold like 10 and they're like, it was a disappointment. And yeah. it was like 10 million copies is not a disappointment like, to anybody yeah, but you, we'll, dude. Yeah, we'll see. How did uh, Dragon Quest Builders 2 sell, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're still making those, I bet. <laughs> I bet they are. Anyway, next we're going to talk about Returnal. Um, I'll be honest with you. I did not think I was going to be excited to talk about this game. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing what it was, I'm not a big roguelike, roguelite, roguelite guy. Um, I'm not a huge fan of games that are disproportionately difficult, and this game is difficult. Um, so the two of those things together, I knew I needed to play this game, and the concept of it was very compelling. Like, it's very similar to me to, like, Dark Souls. Like, I watch a trailer for Dark Souls, and I'm like, hot damn, that's my game. And then I go and play it, and I'm like, oh, God, it's not my game. <laughs> and I was doing the same thing with Returnal. I had kind of just assumed that it was going to be another case of, that looks like exactly what I want to play, but I bet when I play it, I'm not going to agree. And I will say this, I love Returnal. I love it. I, it is very hard and very difficult, and it is very frustrating at times, but... They have managed to find a middle ground with this game that I feel like I was not getting from the Souls games. Well, this game doesn't have a stamina bar. That helps. I think I think that's the key. That does you. help. Like, although it does have like an adrenaline bar that has a pretty interesting mechanic. Yeah, the adrenaline mechanic is interesting in that it, it's it's a it's an enhancement that doesn't penalize you. Right. Um, and of course, there's this cooldown on the on the dash, but like that's easy to manage. Um, you're never hit to a point where you are defenseless because you were being too aggressive, and that is where you have trouble with the Souls games. And this, uh, you're actually rewarded for being aggressive, Matt, because mm-hmm. when you dash, you're invincible. Yep. So you actually are encouraged like, not to... So we should probably lay out the basics of the game. It is a third-person shooter roguelite where if you die, you go back to the beginning of the game, but not completely. Any... As you progress through the game, you pick up equipment that is permanent equipment. So if you ever die and you restart again, you will have that equipment. Yeah, it's a pretty standard modern roguelike thing where it's like some stuff you only get for that run and some stuff is a permanent upgrade that gives you a better chance. You you can upgrade. Usually it's like things that let you traverse stuff that let you access more areas. Sometimes it's like upgrades to the health of the suit. And, you know, you do get more power. You know, like Hades, you do get more powerful as time goes on. There's a lot of parallels to be drawn to Hades here, uh, not just because they're roguelikes, but also because, um, you know, I I also love this game. Um, you know what? Yeah, and I also don't like, you know, I do like the Souls games, but I don't usually like roguelikes all that much because I don't like the repetition of the same thing over and over again because after a while you can see, you can kind of see the strings yep. on these procedurally generated things. I mean, um, you can in this game too, though. Yeah, for sure. But Returnal does 
the same thing Hades does in the sense that it is fun to play moment to moment. It is a blast. Like, I to enjoy play playing this moment. game. Whatever room I'm in, however much progress I've made, like I like playing this. Exactly. And a lot of roguelikes do not succeed at that. That's why this game is, is successful, I think. Because yeah. the combat feels so damn good. It is developed by Housemark. If you got maybe mm-hmm. you've never watched Game Face before, but if you do watch Game Face, you know that Matt and I love Housemark. It is yeah. a small studio that has been making incredible games for a really long time and never really getting its due. They're, they're the developers, you may remember Rezogun. It was a, basically a game you got mm-hmm. for free at the launch of PlayStation 4. Most Next of Machina. Yeah, ex ma- Next bunch Machina. Of, Most of its of games stuff. have been small, indie-type affairs. And, yeah, usually like twin-stick shooter bullet hell things. Yeah. Um, this is see, a big departure for them, although you see the pedigree in you there. You see the elements in here. It also mm-hmm. is a bullet hell shooter. So the enemies, mm-hmm. instead of just firing like a rocket at you or one laser beam... They fire these spreads of little bullets, just like you would see in a shmup, like an arcade shoot 'em up. And the game encourages you to go in. So you get these sprays, and part really a big part of getting good at this game, Matt, is learning to use the dash through things that will hurt you. It took me a while for that to click into my brain to where I was like, wait a minute, I need to stop trying to avoid these. I can dash through them and not get hurt. It took me a while. Once I got over that hump, though, everything changed. I stopped trying to run away because when I was first playing this, like what I found myself doing was getting trapped against like an object in the level or I would dash off the edge of a cliff and fall down into a bottomless pit or I would dash into like a, a pond or a lake of water and lose a bunch of health. And that's because I was always trying to get away from the enemies. Once I realized that, like, oh no, like I need to be aggressive and go at them, I stopped losing health and dying in those silly ways that I was before. It was very frustrating at first. And I think a lot of people, when they play this, their instincts are gonna be like mine, like, oh my God. There's a whole spray of these bullets coming at me. I need to get away. That's not what you need to do in this game. You need to be aggressive. Um, Even once you get over that hump, though, this game is not easy, Matt. Even despite the fact that some of the upgrades you get, you keep, and that makes like the first couple rooms of every run a lot easier, it's still not easy. Because ultimately, you're going to get to an enemy or a boss that can basically stomp you out with a couple attacks a couple of attacks. And that to me has been, is continued to be frustrating. So I don't know how far you are. I am in the second biome and I have fought the second boss twice. Yeah, it's, I fought the second boss three times in and the second biome. I'll be honest with you, Matt. Like, I don't know if I'll ever beat the second boss. <laughs> I think I will, but I got to grind some weapon proficiency. It's. I, I need to get a little, a little upgradey. Like the boss fights are too long. But you know dude. what? I feel, I didn't find the first boss very hard. I didn't either um, because I had tried so many freaking times. My character had everything like that I could have possibly got mm-hmm. in the first biome because I had already died so many times and adventured so long. I only made one mistake on on the first. I I beat the first boss the second try, and the, I only failed in the first one because I made the stupid mistake of trading my weapon out. Right before I went in, because there was a one weapon right at the end, right before you go to the boss room, yep. and 
I had the uh, the uh, what is it called the electrostatic rod one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You yep. know what I'm talking about? It shoots yeah. the red things and yep. you can make like the electric fields between them. Yep. Which normally is a kind of gun that I should hate, but it's my maybe my favorite weapon in the game. Yeah. Um, just because it's so versatile and lets me do damage while I'm running. It all depends. Away from it people. all depends on but the like, enemies I, that you're fighting, honestly. Right. But I got to the right and the, and the gun sitting there was a is a high level pistol, like your standard sidearm pistol. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's way does way more damage. And so I, I traded it and I did it. I'm like, oh, I wish, if I'd had the that the electro the electrostatic, I would have won. I would definitely would have won that boss fight. But I didn't because I had to hold still and shoot him with the pistol instead. If I'd had that other gun, so you, it's it's always that kind of constant trade off. Like, is this a good idea? What does it gain oh, me? What does it lose me? Choosing a weapon, it like, can it's be so, excruciating. It's always a meaningful decision. I've, st- I've stood there looking at two guns for like five minutes before trying to decide which one. And I would argue they don't give you enough information on each gun. Like, they don't tell you enough about what they do. You eventually start figuring it out because there aren't that many different weapon types. So when you see, like, Spreader or whatever, you kind of know what that weapon's going to do in a roundabout way. But at first, I would sit there and I'd stare at those weapons because, dude, it makes a huge difference what weapon you're using in this game. Like, you can get a shotgun and you're fighting enemies that try to that tend to stay away from you, and it's worthless. And, like, mm-hmm. you're trying to find just a stupid sidearm to use anywhere else in the level. You're hoping an enemy drops one to pick up. It can be excruciating figuring out what weapons you want to use, whether you want to pick up a new one or stick with one you've been using, or any of the other things that you pick up in the game. A lot of them you have to make a decision on whether they're like this buff that you have. Like, is this buff working out for me? What, what does this other one even do? Like, I've kind of got used to this one. Like, mm-hmm. It, there's all but every once decisions. in a while you get like that combination of like oh I'll get this and then I got this pickup that lets me get rid of the malfunction on this and then I and that gives me this and then I have that and I'm like oh I'm doing good now like, yeah. like every once in a while you get that like perfect combo of things and you don't want to give it up sometimes but then you get to like the end where you think you're gonna fight the boss and you're like okay well hmm maybe I do need something else here and you end up making mm-hmm. a dumb decision and you go and you're like you and you go in there you're like oh damn I'm dead like I have no chance it's like and the game is such high stakes like I've what's the longest you've played and failed Matt what do you mean like as like, far as how long a run that you had but that you failed and had to start all over again um I mean like a full run to the end of the boss and then I finished I but killed how long the boss. did it take you when the time you failed like I've burned like an hour and forty five minutes in this game. Like I get, yeah, like rough, like about an hour or so. Like at the time I went through the whole first area and then beat the boss and then got to the second biome. That's probably like an hour and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you it literally is just They're long run. It can be very long runs. Yeah, like, and the other uh, thing too is like once you've played one biome a certain number of times, you've got everything, and so. You're not. There does become a certain point where you're not really gaining anything by playing it over and over. And once you hit that point, that's when it does start to become a little frustrating because you're not gaining anything that's going to stick with you permanently anymore. And like, then it becomes this thing in your mind. You're like, okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to go straight to the boss and instead of like going through all these rooms and collecting all these upgrades and everything because you feel like you're already powered up enough because you're like, well. I have all the permanent upgrades. I should be able to beat the boss, like, no problem now. And so you skip all the extra rooms that give you, like, all the little things that you can pick up during the course of your journey that will help you with the boss. You go straight there, and, like, he stomps you twice and you die. Like, it's... I'm loving it, though. Like, I have yet to become frustrated by this game. Even though the last time I lost to the boss in the second biome, I kind of was... I didn't even make it through, like, the first form. Like... 
the first boss wasn't that bad. I think I fought him three times before I beat him. Like, his first form, the first boss is, like, easy. Like, no problem. Like, just chopped it off. I'm like, okay, I got two more forms. That's, that's the thing, people. Three forms to each boss. Mm-hmm. Three forms for each boss. So I took off the first one. Second one, I had to struggle a little bit. Then the third one was, like, impossible. And I had to go back three times to try to beat him. So I already kind of knew how this works. I got to the first form of the second boss, and he just wiped me out. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to beat this. And you start thinking about, so here's the other thing that it took me a while to understand, because the game doesn't explain everything. So after I beat the first boss, I was like, oh, my God. And then I died. I was like, oh, my God. I have to, like, play through this all again. I'm going to have to beat the first boss again and then get through all of this again. No. You can actually, once you've beaten a boss, you don't have to fight that boss again on subsequent runs. But now you yeah, may want that's to. standard roguelike now. Yeah. Rogue. You like, may you, want you don't have to, to redo though, those things. Because you get drops from mm-hmm. beating the boss that it may be again worth the risk and reward of fighting him again because you may need those drops to help you beat that second boss that you're planning on getting to later. Um so it does look it has I think a lot of it, a lot of people are like me. They don't play a lot of rogue likes or rogue rogue lights and they may not realize that a lot of the stuff that this game is doing has been a, a change that the the subgenre has seen over the last couple of years. I wasn't aware of that. To mm-hmm. me, this was all brand new. Like being able to keep a lot of my stuff was all brand new. Being able to skip significant parts of my prior runs was brand new to me. So this was like a big eye-opening experience for me. I had no idea that the subgenre had changed in this way to where most games were this way, which is good to hear now because maybe I'll go back and start playing some of these if that's the case. Um, uh, every... I, I wouldn't recommend that. This is this in Hades are head and shoulders above the rest of the subgenre. Okay, I would so say. I'm not too crazy to say that this does feel different. Then no, I think you are. You are definitely between this and Hades. You are playing the best that this okay. has to offer. Okay, I would. I would say. Um, and then you start talking about like the atmosphere, the world, um, the way the storytelling is handled. All of it just knocked out of the park, Matt. I couldn't help myself, but playing this game. The whole time, just dreaming the next Metroid is like this. Now, I don't yep. want it to be a roguelike or a roguelite. Yeah, not this, not exactly like this, but this is definitely, playing this has been, in the same way playing Bloodborne made me think the same thing about Castlevania. Playing this, I'm just like, this is what Metroid should be. Yes. Now, like, this look, is how Metroid should work. I don't think when you die in Metroid Prime 4, you should have to go back and play most of the game over again. I think no. it should be structured normally. Like, I don't normally, know if that makes sense. I don't know if I want Samus. everything else about it, man, this yeah, is what Metroid should be, be. I don't need Samus to be tortured by cosmic horror the way this woman, is, Selene, no. is in this. But um, in terms of this, how, you know, and, and probably Metroid should be, you know, handcrafted and not procedurally generated. Right. But, um... Like the way it feels and the loneliness of it oh, and yeah. the, the alienness of it. Like yeah. this is, exi- yeah, there's a lot a, a Metroid game could learn from this game. The scan, it even has scanning. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, there's just so many parts of it that made me feel like it was Metroid. And then as I kept playing it, I started extrapolating the ideas in this game out to a Metroid game. And it mm-hmm. would, I don't know if Nintendo will ever give us something like this, but it sure the hell should because most of the people who are going to play Metroid are going to be older anyway. The kids yeah. don't well, even know what like, the hell Metroid is. Also, like I'm, I will bet you cash money that the House Mark people took some hard looks at Metroid Prime. Oh, when for sure! This. Like it's all, it's all connected in there. I mean, it does remind me a lot of Metroid Prime Two. Mm-hmm. 
um, more than the original Metroid Prime. No, there's a, in, in terms of like the, the alternate versions of the main character and like all, yeah, the echoes thing. Yep. Like the, yeah, there's a lot going on. There's like a lot of eerie, weird shit in this, like with just like, you know, as you slowly piece together, your character slowly pieces together what's happening to her. Then like you're, you're, you know, you're finding, you find your, your own, own dead body, you're finding your own corpse <laughs> and stuff. It's like, it's that's pretty, how you get your cool. first gun. You find your own dead body and you take the gun off your own dead body. It's like, and you don't know why you got and and just slowly you just like oh wait how long have you been here like you how can't long remember. have you been in this loop yeah it starts to like add up as time goes on and you discover all these little and like I never read like audio logs or lore stuff in like any other game but I pay attention to that stuff in this game for some reason like the storytelling is very subtle but very effective. And I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything. You guys have all seen it. And the destructible environments we just saw there in the footage, in the B-roll, that's awesome. That stuff just pops up weirdly out of the blue, and it blows your mind all the time. But, like, I don't know, man. Yeah, definitely hidden, I've definitely hidden behind the wrong pillar a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> you get an unpleasant surprise. Like, Whoa, you can break that. Okay, we'll move now. Yep. Uh, but, like, like, I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that, like, you discover this house that looks like it should be on Earth. And the way that they handle that stuff is very clever and smart. Um, the enemies, I, I'm not even tired of fighting the first enemy you see in the game, Matt. I'm still not mm. sick of fighting those dudes. Like, I still enjoy it. Like, and then they start bringing in the new enemies that get more and more creative as the game goes on. The boss fights, the two that I've fought, have been awesome. Like, the bosses themselves are very creative and very unique. Like, the game itself is just mm-hmm. creative and unique. Playing yeah. a shmup in 3D, like it just doesn't happen. Well, and also let's let's also tie this into what you were talking about in the previous segment about IO Interactive. Right. When this game was first announced, you were very skeptical that Housemark could make it. Yep, I was because it's not something that they had done before. Um, yep. But I will always advocate for a developer trying to branch out beyond what they've already done. But I did and believe in them, Matt, because I did draft this game on my fantasy yeah. team. Ultimately. But here is a here is a good example of. You know, try something new, take what you've already learned and apply it to this thing, and you came out with gold. Now, I will say this, like, and I hate to say anything bad about this game, because I really do like it a lot, but it is, there are corners cut. Like, there's a, I feel like there's a reason it's a roguelike slash roguelite, because, like, there aren't that many rooms. Like, in the first biome, my guess is there's probably 15 different rooms, and then they just, like basically randomize them and attach them together with doors. Mm -hmm. So after you've gone on a couple runs, you've basically seen every room in the biome. And then they just randomize what enemies appear in the rooms or what items will appear in the rooms and that sort of thing. Like, my guess is they came up with this idea and they're like, how could we make a game that looks like it took us like five years to make, but it really takes like a year and a half or two years to make. And I think this is what they came up with. And I think it's freaking brilliant. Um, there is some Groundhog Day to this. I did get sick eventually of some of the of the rooms in the in the first biome because so I just had to yeah, play. Yeah, but it's so got a good times. curve of like as as I was becoming overly familiar with them, I was also learning to get through them faster. It's true. Yep, you get so, better like, it at didn't it. Didn't feel like it didn't feel like it was t- wasting my time because I was able to handle everything it threw at me much quicker. And you know, just the pacing continued to feel about the same. Yeah, so some I rooms never do felt have like monster closets too. Down. 
where you flip a trigger and like you get yeah. bombarded by enemies. Well, and so, but you also you rec- start to recognize like you know this okay this door's blue so that leads to like a, an item and I might right. have to fight something. This door's red with a circle over it so that means I'm gonna get trapped in there with yep. a bunch of until they kill the enemies it won't open and then I get something for doing that. Yep. Like you start to recognize what those are and you also know if that's what that you're looking at that's not the main path so you don't have to go in there if you don't want to like you. Like you start to kind of speak the game's language, which is also a, an element of of all roguelikes to some degree. Um, and I felt like it gets there. It, you know, the map is very useful, and it tells you almost everything you need to know if you know how to read it. And as you learn to read it properly, um, y- you get there. Like it's it's a I you know I'm I am my, my patience with rogue roguelikes is um, razor thin. Like I could you know the quest stands on the edge of a knife at all times with yeah. me with these games. And this is maybe the second game of its kind I've ever played that has not fallen off the edge, you know, by this point. You know, that and Hades are basically the only two I've really enjoyed playing for any real length of time. Well, I'll put it to you um, this way. Hades was the first one that I played for any significant amount of time. And now mm-hmm. this is the second one. <laughs> yeah. So it can be done. Yeah. Look, there there is some luck involved in this and how yeah. like the rooms are generated because oh, yeah. like after you've played, like you've done on a bunch of runs and you're like, damn, like I can't beat this boss in the first biome. Every once in a while you'll get like an organization of the rooms where you only have to go like a few rooms and there's the boss. Mm-hmm. But then if you die and then they regenerate the rooms again, the next time you may have to go like 10, literally like 10 miles to get to the boss again. A lot of it too, like there's great like um, fast travel systems. Like after a while, like if, you, if you're if you on one of those runs that lasts a long time and you've unlocked a lot of the fast travel points in the level, it can be a lot easier. Like honestly, I'll be honest with you, Matt. The way I finally beat the first boss was I was on a really long run and I had pretty much unlocked all the fast travel points in the in the biome. And so I just started going back through the fast travel points and just picking up health that I had left behind or other stuff that Mm -hmm. I had left behind. I even went back, and I don't know if a lot of people realize you can do this. I even went back to the ship and went to sleep. And if you do that, Mm -hmm. you'll get about 60% of your health back, and you don't lose anything. You don't lose anything you've collected, nothing. So, again, if you're lucky enough to have a warp pad appear close to the ship, and then you're lucky enough to have a warp pad appear close to, like, the final boss room, you can literally go in, like, and go back, get health, and then come back before you fight the final boss. So there are there are lots of kind of levers in place to alleviate the pressure that is common to this subgenre. Um, and that is what has made me stick with it and really enjoy it, uh, in addition to all the other things I talked about, just the atmosphere. Like, I know you hate Prometheus, Matt, but I really liked it. At least I liked, like, the tone of the movie and the setting of the movie. And to me, this is, like, Prometheus, the roguelike. Like, no, I, I like the concept behind Prometheus. I just think it's completely inept in execution. Yeah, it's not a great uh, movie. I, I yeah. definitely see the, uh, yeah, I definitely see the parallel there. Um, the, the creepy ancient ghost of a civilization yep. and the stacked dead bodies of these monsters everywhere. And you're like, yep. what happened? Yeah. Slowly piecing together what happened by like, translating things and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's actually a smarter treatment of the idea than Prometheus is. Yep. Um, and all I can say is if the next Metroid is anything like this, I'm going to lose my mind. I, I will be in heaven. It will be like probably my game of the forever because I really like Returnal, but the roguelike stuff still isn't, it's not ideal for me, but it just shows you how well it's designed and that I have stuck with it. So if you're like me and you've tried a lot of games in this in this subgenre and you did just given up, 
You're like, they're just not for me. I'm never going to find a game where I can deal with this, like starting over and over again. This is your chance. It really is. And, and to Matt's point, Hades as well is the other game that kind of finds a way to make it palatable to more than just the most hardcore of players. I'm having a ton of fun with this. And again, to Matt's point, it is just fun. The combat mm-hmm. is fun. Like you don't, you just don't get tired of the gunplay in this because all the guns are different. Um, really learning how to use them, Matt. It took me like two hours before I even discovered there was an active reload. Mm. The game does not do a good job of explaining stuff. Like there's, it, there's a lot of stuff I eventually just stumbled upon just fiddling around. Like I didn't know there's an active reload for the first couple hours. Like I, I tell you that at the very beginning. I didn't. I guess I just skipped past it, and I saw that little meter going across my thing, and I just never, I just never did it. So the first two hours I played the game, I didn't was even active reloading, and once I started doing that, that changed everything because that first shot after an active reload pretty much kills any enemy in the game. So there's all these things installed in the game to help people like me, or if you're like me, like us people who don't normally like really punishingly difficult games enjoy this game. And not the least of which is just some really rewarding combat with some really unpredictable and fun enemies. I, There's some good dual sense four tricks. Oh man. All the, so I want to ask you, Matt, how do you feel about the GameCube type controls in this, where you pull the trigger halfway, it stops and then you can click it. And that's how you fire your primary and your secondary um, fire. Do you like mm-hmm. using it that way? Or would you rather just have a button for that alt fire? I would rather just have a button. Me too. Um, yeah, but I like, agree. cause cause I still pull it too hard sometimes yeah. and I accidentally fire off yep. the secondary I do fire the same at times. Thing, man. But um this is all, you know, I mean it works. Uh I, I, I appreciate the trick that you can do that and make that such a solid pushback that it feels like the trigger is two buttons yeah it's like, insane cool. dude the tech is freaking awesome um it's really but yeah cool. i don't i don't think it quite i mean I, I you know it teaches me to be a little lighter with my finger on that trigger um which is cool but uh yeah i i think i would be controlling i would i would get I would more out of it if I, if I could just yeah i yeah. could instead of l1 being the use use uh dispo, you know your consumable yep. item i could just use a button for that yep and, and just and put the other be, stuff on a d-pad yeah. Yeah. But otherwise, man, this thing, this game's butter. It plays so great, man. It just feels smooth and just I never blame the game when I die. I wasn't mm. first when I first started playing it, when I wasn't being aggressive and I was trying to get away from enemies because I was dying a lot by like dashing to the side and and running into a tree and getting stuck against a tree and then they would unload on me or dashing to the sideways and dashing into the water and losing a third of my health or dashing to the side and falling off into a bottomless pit where I'd lose a third of my health. Like, every hit in this game matters. That's one thing I would say to people who are going to play this game. Try to never get hit because that's how the adrenaline meter works. So if you never get hit, your adrenaline meter keeps going up. And with each level, you get perks. So... What are some of the perks, Matt? One of them is like double melee yeah, damage, I think. You can get better melee damage, better vision. Yeah, you can um, see like through walls. Enhance, you can, and you can get like where you, where you're, when you shoot, like you get little beams of energy that fly out yep. along with your shot. Right. Yep. Um, adrenaline level five is no joke. Like, like you, you want to go into a boss fight on adrenaline yeah. level five. It'll make a world of difference until you take your first hit and you lose mm-hmm. it all. <laughs> and it's a great uh, balance. You, you go up an adrenaline level every three kills without getting hit. And um, it's great because, like, if you get hit, you'll lose your adrenaline levels, which is a punishment. But the only thing you get from adrenaline levels is bonus stuff. 
Yeah. So you you've basically been reduced to normal yep. when that happens. So yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel like you're getting hosed by it. It just feels like you had a cool thing for doing well, and then you didn't do well for a second, so you lost that cool thing. But you can get that cool thing back if you do well again. Yep. Like it's a it's a it's a mechanic that doesn't feel punishing, but also feels rewarding. But it adds to the challenge because they can sort of tweak some of this stuff to expect you to be at a certain adrenaline level uh, if you're a certain skill level at the game. And like that feels like a really good that feels like a really good sort of interaction of systems to me. It's it's all very well, very well planned and very smartly implemented, I think. Matt, don't you think it's crazy that really two of the biggest PlayStation 5 exclusives are like extremely difficult? Um, you got Demon Souls and yeah. you got Returnal. I mean, they're really the two standout exclusives. Yeah. And they're both like hard as balls. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right tactic. I don't even know if it was intentional. I think it just worked out that way, but it's very bizarre. I mean, I'll yeah. never think I mean, Demon's I, I Souls. assume Ratchet is not taking that, that no. direction. I, although but, uh, some of that stuff in that I mean, new B-roll was involved. pretty yeah. challenging. Uh, but like you said, that'll probably be optional. It's not optional in either of these games. Like you have to no, do it's it. The point. Yeah, I mean, it's the point of the games. It's crazy though. Like I wonder if like some people are like, "What the hell did I just buy this PlayStation Five? I can't finish a damn game on it." It's <laughs> funny. Hopefully, some of them got Miles Morales because that game was actually kind of easy. I thought, but yeah, yeah, it's been interesting seeing these two games. And like, I know I'll never finish Demon Souls. Like I've already given up. It's just not going to happen. I may do it for like a charity stream someday, or just beat my head against a wall for eight hours, but I'm not going to willingly go back and play it. It's just not my thing. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, do you think this is going to sell? Well, let, let's say first, should people buy it? I say yes. Like I, yeah, I think if you're, if you're at all willing to entertain the idea of playing a game that is challenging, yeah, then you, you look at the aesthetic of this and like it, I would say for sure. Yeah, me too. And do you think people are going to buy it? I think so. I mean, I'm thinking you might get like days gone level sales, uh, which as we all know is not acceptable yeah. somehow. <laughs> but, I think for Housemark um, they might be though. Yeah, for this developer, I'm I'm sure uh I think it will turn a profit. Yeah. I think. I, I feel like they will sell more than enough to justify the costs. I think we'll get a um, sequel. I hope so. I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. I haven't got to finish the game. It. Maybe there's no opportunity for that at the end. I don't know. Re but... returnal, right? I mean, you can, <laughs> I mean, you can always do another thing like it, you know. And there's so much um, mystery around this game. It's like they don't tell you like why she's going there or mm, why when she gets a warning together. to not go to the planet, she goes anyway. Mm. You look, her console is like under no circumstances go to this planet, and she's just like screw it, and she just goes. Oh, we're right, going. Right down. <laughs> It's well, weird. Learned, learned her lesson on that one, I guess. Yeah, she did. Um, and then we learned the lesson. But that's part of what's great about it. Like, there's not, everything's just not spoon fed to you. It's not put on a plate in front of you and, like, this is mm-hmm. what's happening. I'm also impressed by the the variety. It's like when, you know, when you read, when you die and it restarts, you see, usually see her crash again. Mm-hmm. Um, and the variety of of how they play that scene out is very impressive. Like sometimes it, you you're in the feel cockpit like when the it's over. Thing. Sometimes you're standing outside when it's yep. over. Yeah, it's sometimes really you cool. watch it go down. Sometimes yeah. the go the, the crash isn't even shown. Sometimes Some, you, you know, just see just, the skid at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. The whole game is really really slick. Like just Housemark mm-hmm. is the shit, man. Like I love that studio. I love everything it's done, but one game. Um, it had one game that was terrible, but what otherwise, was one game? it was that weird, like two and a half D, like shooter. I can't remember the name of it at this point, but 
I think I've just removed it from my memory banks, trying to forget it. Everything else Housemark has done, I think, has been amazing. So um, I'm all about it. I definitely recommend picking this up, even if you're not a fan of hyper-challenging games or roguelikes or roguelikes. Even, uh, even Transworld Snowboarding? Did they do Transworld Snowboarding? They've been around a long time. They have, man. yeah. I didn't even know that they did that. And I don't they did Transworld Snowboarding, Supreme Snow Snowboarding, wow. uh, Gizmondo Motocross 2005. So they were like an extreme sports developer back in the yeah. day. I didn't then realize they, that. They did Super Stardust HD, which must have been the beginning of that. was of their that. Voxel, beginning of their voxel journey. Yeah. And then they uh, and then went to Dead Nation, Outland, uh, Rezogun, Alien Nation, Next Machina, and Matterfall. Matterfall, that's what it was. Yeah, Matterfall. I thought it might put yeah. him out of business, to be honest with you. <laughs> Matterfall did not uh, did not uh, do it for me. You're right. Yeah, but I thought it might put him out because they were talking about they were struggling and Next mm. Machina didn't do very well, and we were like, "Oh crap, are they going to go away?" Nope. And we got Sony. Sony Back stepped with in. The Fury to save their Rezo Gun boys. They, absolutely. And, uh, and here we are. Yep. So that's two thumbs up from us, the Game Face yeah. crew. Returnal's awesome. Like it'll. It'll make an impact on you. That, I will guarantee, no matter who you are or what kind of games you like, it will make an impact on you. Uh, all right, let's do some Q&A here. Let's see what you guys got in the queue for us. Yeah, El Guapa was trying to tell us Matterfall. He was right. He knew, he knew which game we were talking about. Um, uh, Vincent, two important clarifications on the Epic discussion. One, Microsoft has denied it's dropping its cut on console. Okay. Um, number two, it came out that 7% of EGS accounts have actually spent money. Ooh, mm. that's not good. Glad to be in that elite 7%. <laughs> I don't mean, I don't, that's mm. not good. Yeah, I kind of thought it might be that, honestly. JM Rain, thank you for the subs, brother. Appreciate it, man. Uh, let's see, Eth Demon. To answer your question from Ehler. Oh, he's saying that he's giving us the 7% as well. <laughs> Uh, here's a question from Commander Fett. Do you think that games like the new Ratchet and Clank will ever be ported to PC since the PS5 hardware is so integral to the game running? And if so, do you think we'll see SSDs being required to play them? I do not. Well, I think it depends. I think if they tank, they might come to PC. And I think Sony may just be like, look, if you have an RTX card, you can play it. If you don't, you can't. And mm -hmm. whatever sales we make off of that PC version, we're cool with. That would be my guess. What do you think, Matt? I don't think it will because I think you'd have to have a very specific hardware setup with the SSD and something that's able to access it as quick as it needs to. And I think the headache of trying to make it clear to people that if you have this setup, it'll work. And if this setup, it won't because of how fast the load times have to be in the middle of gameplay. I don't think they will ever risk that because PC, PC setups are too varied. Yeah, Ratchet um, in particular. You do bring up a good point. Yeah, Ratchet is, is dependent too, on the SSD. Yeah, and if it's any good, and I think it probably will be, uh, Sony's going to keep that as a feather in their cap for you know a reason to buy that system. Yeah, I wouldn't count um, on it happening for like five years. Like if it does I, happen I, I, at all. Where Where is the Demon Soul remaster on PC? Right. Yeah. I don't think you're going to see that either. And it didn't sell especially well, so no. that could be a candidate. I think the fact is, I mean, I do think the fact that you're seeing things like Horizon and uh, Death Stranding, it probably is largely because the Death Stranding guys got that engine running on PC, uh, but also because those are much more, you know, standard games. Like, yeah. They're very, you know, they're, they're, you know, the load time between things doesn't really matter on them. You don't need anything yeah. special to run them. Um, you know, they are Ratchet not things... uses the SSD for gameplay mechanics. 
Yeah, that's that's that's, that's, the, that's the line that you can't cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you probably. Could, I mean, I'm sure you could get it to run on PC, a PC with a proper SSD and everything. But it's just like we've already seen so much backlash from like PC gamers over like, oh, now I need to have an SSD right. to play a game. Like, yeah, you eventually that's going to be a thing. Like that's this new standard. Like it's sort of like you're comfortable buying a new graphics card. Why don't you want to buy an SSD? I don't get it. Well, the other part too is that in four years, the vast majority of gaming rigs are going to have SSDs. Yeah. So maybe you still need to be able. But you know, every SSD is not created equal, and you're still going to need. You know, you're basically going to need to be a point. You know, sort of like how you they haven't like been able to say which SSDs we can stick in the PS5 yet. Because yeah. nothing that fast exists yet on the on the on the retail market. Yeah. So eventually, maybe like everyone will just have, you know maybe in five years everybody will have an SSD in their gaming PC that is fast enough to handle the ratchet thing, and maybe then we'll see like a ratchet collection or something from the PS5 era. Because I bet they're going to make more than one of them. But um, until they, I wouldn't I wouldn't sit around waiting for a PC version of Ratchet instead of getting a PS5 no. if you want to play. Yeah, ratchet. that's what they're asking. Hell no. There's going to be so many other great games to play as well before then. Uh, again, thanks, Jam Rain, for all the gift subs. It's awesome. Uh, here's one from El Guapo3385. Matt, any interest in playing Shin, Mag- Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne Remaster releasing later this month? Yeah, I'll probably play it a bit. I mean, I liked that game back in the day on the PS2. Um, like, I don't know how long it'll hold my attention now. If you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's a very grindy sort of Pokemon-y, you know, old-school Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, I am interested to see what it looks like with the remaster stuff. I want to, you know, I, I guess they're enhancing some some elements of it because it was always a little light. It was just sort of like, hey, world ended, go go in here, go in the subway station or whatever, and go kill shit. It's like, yeah. okay, done, they're great. Um, I did, you know, it, that that game was from an era where I had a lot more free time on my hands and uh, and a longer attention span for things like that. Um, but I, it's one of my favorite uh, games in that franchise, so I will definitely pick it up and play it a bit. I'm sure I'm sure I'll talk about it here a little bit, but I don't I, I can't guarantee I'm going to finish an 80 hour dungeon crawler anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like Persona 5, like I literally finishing that game. I spent over 100 hours playing it or whatever. Like, I'm good, dude, for like years. Mm. Seriously, like I am. Yeah. Well, this is I mean, this is a different thing. Tur- so. I, I know. I know. But just games in that style, like a turn-based RPG, I'm good. Like, I spent so much time playing that game, it literally held me over for, like, mm-hmm. two years. Like, well, this is, like, even an even less interesting style approach to that game, that mm-hmm. style than you, for you. I, yep. Like, like this is, you know, whereas Persona is very story-driven and more of a, you know, more of a production value-driven thing in a lot of places. I mean, Nocturne is just Pokemon. Pretty much, it's just a dungeon crawl with demons as Pokemon, and there's no no real story to speak of beyond like what they need to move things forward. And like, you know, like my memories of that game are just grinding, 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 boss, 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 dungeon, 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 grind, 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 breed, 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 demon. Like that's all it was. Like there's you know lots of fusions, lots of stuff like that. It's just mechanics with nothing to you know sweeten the deal. Um, which I think you would it would you'd bounce off that even harder than your average JRPG, I would think. You're probably right. <laughs> uh, let's see. We got one more question here from Toast Nine. What's up, man? How are you? Um, thoughts on Toys for Bob getting turned into another Call of Duty support studio? Shouldn't Activision be saving studios for some of their legacy franchises other than Call of Duty? Well, I don't know. Uh, you've made the error of thinking that Activision cares about anything <laughs> except Call of Duty. That's true. Um, but the other, I guess the other thing I would say is, like, 
Crash 4 clearly did not sell like the Crash uh, Trilogy collection, and that's the end of that. Yeah. Like, I can't, I can't think of a lot of games that the studio has done that, like, I'd be like, oh, no, they're not going to make another one of those. Like, that's I can think studio, of a couple. Like, like I would have liked to seen uh, High Moon Studios keep doing Transformers. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of a couple of those developers they shut down after one Spider-Man game, particularly um, uh, Shaba Games that did Web of Shadows. Like, I would have liked to have seen what they could have done a couple couple games from then. Um yeah, they, they you get one you, even more than EA over there. You get one failure, and you are just thrown into the thrown into the assembly line of Call of Duty. I mean, there's nothing saying that you can't do more than one thing at a time. Like maybe they are going to still get to make like Crash Five or something while they're working on this. But like, um, you know, Toys for Bob. It's just, it's the Toys for Bob things have changed because they've been around forever. I mean, they made Star Control back yeah. in the day. Like they've, you know, that's one of the, the the last surviving legacy developers of that size from from then. And you thought it kind of had a new lose, new lease on life when they hit on the Skylanders idea, and then that went away because that Toys to Life thing was only so so long of a fad. Those kids grew up and no one else cared. Yep. And um and then they, they I thought they might have found their niche again with Crash Four. I don't like Crash. I have no interest in Crash Four, but I thought they you know I thought they could pull that off, and apparently. Apparently, you know, they've got like what, like 14 teams working on Call of Duty stuff now? At this now? point, yeah. It's and I mean, just I'll say this. Absurd. I'd rather them do that than dissolve the studio. Oh, yeah. Better that than everybody loses their job. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad they're um, all still employed. Like, you even look at a studio like Beanox. They did the same thing to them. Yeah. Like, they made that crappy, like, Tony Hawk game where you actually rode the board. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And, and some, I thought and some that studio okay might be dissolved after that, and they didn't. They also, uh, those guys, you know, they did. They worked on the Spider-Man games that invent that created the Spider-Verse. Right. Yeah. You forget the you know, we forget the Shattered Dimensions and Edge of Time invented the concept That's of the true. Spider-Verse. Like the Dan Slott, the guy who wrote those comic stories, the Spider-Verse comic, that got the idea from those games, which he's yeah. credited on as a writer. But for some reason, he got an idea from those games as a writer that he did not write. Um, and, uh, but he took that to Marvel and was like, we could do this as a comic story. And they did it. And that's where into the spider that, you know, the movie into the spider verse and all that stuff comes from, um, those games sent shockwaves through that friend, through it's that true. IP. Yeah. Like it's, it's, you know, that I'm not saying they were great, but like, it, it always you know, sucks when a studio is just like, Hey, guess what? You're going to work on this thing. You don't yeah. care about now. Like, I mean, yeah, certainly I would be glad you know, if I were in their position, I'd be glad to not lose my job, but I would certainly be looking for another one. Exactly. At this point. Or looking to branch out and get a bunch of people from the studio to form a new studio where you can do yeah. the stuff that you want to do. So we'll see if that just happens. being stuck toiling on call of duty forever. Sounds like a nightmare. Like I just would never want yeah. to be if you're not stuck interested, with that, but it's good to have on your resume. Oh yeah. That's for yeah. Sure. Maybe give it an installment. And, yeah. and then try to move on. Head on. <laughs> then cl- also, make sure like, you stick around know, long enough to get your royalty checks. <laughs> right. I also I do know that um uh like Activision's structure is so wonky that most of the rest of the industry, if you are whatever your title is at Activision, they will assume you can handle whatever the next two title levels up at is. the other company. So, yeah. They're because, flat, because Activision basically. is so stingy. Activision is like the anti-insomniac. They're so stingy about recognizing talent or letting you advance if you're good at what you do, that it's assumed that anyone who has worked there for any length of time can do some do like much higher level work than their, their title their reflects, which yeah. honestly should be something that everyone that runs Activision should be completely mortified by. Yeah. But that's, that's a, that's a 
that's a horrible thing to have to say about a company. It is, but those but, people leave there and can get a job almost anywhere too. So yep. a lot of them probably they're pissed off when they leave and then they get to the new gig and they're like, oh, forget it. Like it helped me yeah, get this worth, gig and I'm happy it. now. Yeah. So yeah. But it's, it's also like this. There is an element now certainly of like, if you're going to work at Activision, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. Like I mean, a lot of awareness, let's the, be honest. Thanks to Jason Schreier. Yeah. You're walking into the lion's den and that's known now. Yeah. So. All right, that's it for Game Phase 254. A great episode, um, full of great games and great discussion. <laughs> if we do say so ourselves. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Uh, listen, if you want to follow us to know when the show goes up for free on our YouTube channel or when it goes up on any of the podcast services, pretty much we're on all of them, make sure you follow Sifted at Sifted Games on Twitter. You can find me there at Dinfire. That's D-I-N-F-I-R-E. You can find Matt at M. Kyle. That's M-K-E-I-L. Most importantly, though, we really need your help with our Patreon. Um, our Patreon pays all our bills, pays our bandwidth bills, pays for our studio, pays Matt, pays everybody. Um, without it, we cannot function. So even if it's just a dollar a month, we really appreciate it. You can head to patreon.com slash sifted. That's S-I-F-T-D. And if you don't have any cash, you're watching on YouTube for free. Totally get it. I've been there. I've been broke. Everyone's been broke. You can still help us for free just by subscribing to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash siftedgames and uh, signing up for Twitch Prime. If you're watching on YouTube, the instructions are down below. While you're at it, why not give us a like, a subscribe, and ring that bell? That would help too, I think. Um, I think I've covered all the really crappy promotion that I have to do at the end of anything to be successful in 2021, Matt. Can you think of anything else? No, I think that covers it. <laughs> so pathetic what you have to do to be successful anymore. But you got to play the game. Smash that like button, ring that bell. If you can't play, you don't play the you can't win if you don't play the game, right, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. uh, the only way to win is not to play. Yeah. Uh, thanks as we to everybody. In war yeah, games. Well, that's true. Thanks to everybody who subscribed uh, via Twitch Prime in uh, in our chat today. Thanks for showing up live. You guys really make the show better. I'm trying to check our chat more often live during shows. Hopefully you've noticed that. Um, I've actually been looking in, and it's, it's very effective in helping us get our, like if we miss a point on a discussion or whatever, I'm trying to check it more. So thanks to everybody who shows up. We're here every, one, every Tuesday, every 1 o'clock. We're here every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Again, that's at twitch.tv slash We'll see you here next week. Game Face is up and out.